Christina Warren, welcome to the talk show. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It is the end of July, and ordinarily we often have nothing to talk about but rehashing two-month-old WWDC news, and instead (laughs) it is absolutely impossible to whittle the list of possible things to talk about. That is bizarre. What is going on that uh, that the news is so overwhelming when we're, when we're locked in? There's got to be some kind of res- cause and effect here. Yeah, I think so. I think is that we don't have, like people have written about like the concept of doom scrolling where you kind of can't stop scrolling through all like the terrible things that are happening and you're kind of addicted to it. And I kind of feel like that's part of it. But even like putting the tenor aside, whether it's, it's good or bad, it's just the fact that there's like, nothing else to do. So some people are more productive than others. Uh, One of my favorite artists, Taylor Swift, just released a surprise album and it's very good. And I was like, and I've been shitposting on Twitter. Like (laughs) I've, that's been my pandemic, right? Like I've been trying to like figure out, well, days blend into one another too, right? Has that been the case for you? Because I know that you, Absolutely. It's been so weird because even though I've worked remotely somewhat um, for the last couple of years, and and a lot of that has been on the road and in other places, like this is just so weird. Like I never know what day or what week it is. It all blends together. I think that's part of it too. Like there's just always a deluge of things, and we never know what day we're on. Yeah, it is true, and uh, you know, it, it's I, I'm not even complaining because it, it suits me. And it's, you know, it certainly is my good fortune in life that I've eked out a career and if it suits my personality that I, on a day-to-day basis, if you were just watching what I do, you may not know whether the footage is of me during (laughs) coronavirus times or me a year ago or hopefully a year from now. I mean, this, and that's no exaggeration. There are, there are many days pre-corona where I didn't leave the house. (laughs) Sure, but you could, right? Like right. that's like that. That changes it for me yeah. because I, there, I definitely did leave the house, and that's been weird for me. I'm like I'm cooped up, but there have been times in my life where I'm like you, like I would be completely content to just like stay indoors yeah. and not go anywhere, but yeah. well, and, not being able to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah and and you know we have our, our son is in uh, heading into eleventh grade, you know, and so yeah. it's school this during the school year that certainly anchors the concept of weekdays and weekends concretely. And even in summer vacations of the past, you know, that's when we would take vacations, we would travel. And even then there still seemed to be more, much more of a cohesive sense of, Hey, it's Friday. Should we go Mm -hmm. out? Do do you guys want to, you know, should we go out as a family and have dinner? Um, You know, it's just the stupidest, most obvious thing in the world. Everybody knows, you know, restaurants are more crowded on Friday and Saturday nights because that's when people go out and that's when right. we would go out because it's just what you do. It's what you do. Right. And it's like not even thinking, like not even having that on the table is it really helps blur the whole thing. And, you know, and there's just all sorts of things that aren't happening. Sports don't happen. I mean, baseball is a thing I'm a big fan of and they just started playing last night and oh my God, is it weird. But it's, you know, there's there's just things that anchor days. There's Sunday night baseball on ESPN, you know, and it's not that different, right. but it's, you know, it's just a thing. No, but there's stuff. There, there are yeah. things that happen, like movies come out, you know, and yeah. yeah. 
how how is your son doing um, with with all this stuff? Because he's what like sixteen, I guess, or seventeen. Sixteen. Sixteen. Seventeen. So, I don't 17. know. So, I don't no, know. sixteen. He's sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. So yeah, yeah, sixteen because he's going into eleventh grade. Like, how is how is he dealing with this? Because it's got to be super weird to be that age, especially when I don't know what the age people can get their licenses in Pennsylvania. But um, you know, it's, it's the time people start to drive and people have friends who have cars and things like that, and you finally get your mobility. So the and driving thing is the driving thing isn't an issue, and is curious because we live right in the city. Uh, he has no interest in it. He could sixteen is when you can get a driver's license in Pennsylvania. It's actually a source of minor contention within the family, um, which is completely a you know total generational shift. Like oh yeah, my wife and I were sixteen, and we lived in the Pennsylvania suburbs. Couldn't wait to get our driver's license because, like you said, mo- it meant freedom. You know. All of a sudden, you yeah. don't have to ask your parents to drive you to the movie, you and your pals to the movie theater. It was, you know, you could drive somebody. If somebody, if one of your gang had a car, you could all just right. pile into it and go to the movies. And in hindsight, yeah, I, also I in hindsight, let me apologize to my own parents. <laughs> <laughs> because as of now, I if I if my son wanted me to ask if I could be the parent to drive the gang to the movie theater and somebody, you know, even if, you know, and, and somebody else's parent has already agreed to pick up. That was the thing. Who's going to drive? Mm-hmm. Who's going to pick up? I, I, I mean, I would do it and I'd be a good sport about it. I wouldn't, you know, I'd go in and try to, you know, you know, say hi, be friendly, but also not be the awkward, you know, dad right. who talks the too dad. much. You know, yeah, I think I, I think I'm a good. I think I'm good at that. I think I have a good. You know, I don't look like I don't want to be there, but I also am not. You know, I, I know my role as the taxi driver is not to be the one talking. Um, but the fact that I don't never have to do that is, is actually a great relief. But anyway, the the source of contention is that my wife is of the opinion, and I I tend to side with her that it's sort of like learning to swim, and that even if you don't enjoy swimming. It is an excellent life skill because then yeah. if you're ever, you know, in the water, you rather than drowning, you can do it. You can do it. Um, and that learning to drive a car is like that. Even if you live in a city and do not want to ever own a car and you don't really need to, it is an excellent life skill to have in an emergency. Yeah, she, she's right. I don't drive and I mean, I have driven, but. I don't have a driver's license. I haven't in, I mean, like 15, 16 years at least. And even when I did, when I was your son's age, I had a car. I didn't have a license. My friends would just drive my car. But your wife is kind of right because, yeah, right? I was like, that. I mean, it was perfect for me. I was like, I don't want to drive. You want to drive me around? That's fine. Um, and my parents never had like a problem, you know, uh, taking me places if I needed that. And I was always able to figure it out. But even though I've, I've lived in cities where I don't need that and then, you know, the you know, advent of, of Uber and stuff like that, uh, it's been fine until now. And now in these times where you don't feel super right. comfortable getting in a car with someone and I don't want to rely on my husband to have to take me places and whatnot, right. like I've actually been thinking, I'm like, I might have to, when, you know, things are, are safer, like, Take some driving lessons, and yeah. I don't want to own a car, but so, but get that skill. So your your wife has a point. It is. It's an interesting area of Corona time. So anyway, our son's sixteen, legally could drive. My wife wanted him to, and probably if this hadn't happened, it might have happened by now. But 
and even though we own a car and could, I guess, teach him to drive, it, I don't know. It just seems like why bother in Corona times. But yeah. he has no interest in it. It honestly, I don't blame him. It honestly, it sounds to him like, would you like to sign up to take extra classes and learn a bunch of rules to take a test that you have no interest in actually using? I mean, like, it might as well be. Like, you know, learning to fix the plumbing in your house. Again, <laughs> not a bad thing to learn. It's not like he's saying nobody should learn to drive, but he doesn't want to be a plumber. So why should he learn? Why should he go and take a test for that? So he doesn't even want to drive, which is crazy. But, he, you know, we live in the city. His pals mostly live in the city. And the ones who don't live in the city come to, you know, because the school is there. So right, not an issue. Well, one of them has a car. Like, that's all you need. You just need somebody nope, Nobody to needs have a it. car. I don't think any of his friends know how to drive or will learn how to drive most it's a very philly's a very walkable city i think that you know the issue you know the thing is the thing that the kids want to be able to do is take ubers not um not learn to drive and so like what that makes sense hey can Uh, i I take the car you know when i was 16 it was can i take the car my parents like "Uh, i don't know and of course you know i'll just tell you the story the first time (laughs) i think it was the very first time my parents let me drive their car to the movie I, it was a rainy night, and I was driving downhill on the way back from the movie way too fast, put on the brakes, the car didn't quite stop, and I ran into the back of a Cadillac in front of me. Oh, no. I mean, and nobody got hurt. It was like a true fender bender, but it was like, it, it, you know, fenders were bent. <laughs> Insurance mm-hmm. was called. I mean, it was the worst. It's exactly why you don't want to give your car to a 16-year-old. It's terrible. Um, so anyway, the thing that kids today, at least in the city want is they want permission to be able to take Ubers. Of course, that's all pre-corona time. Right. No, that's, yeah. I mean, I think, and I guess that makes total sense. Um, I grew up in the suburbs and we weren't far from the city, but I could see that like, it would be expensive if like eight of us were trying to take a car someplace or if you want to go together, that would be the only reason I could maybe see some kids wanting it. But I think you're right. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's weird when I moved from New York to Seattle, there was some kind of thought that was like, oh, are you going to have to drive now? And I was like, no. Uh, and so I chose the neighborhood I live in and I chose like to be near the the bus that, that takes me to work. Like I have like a, a company bus that takes me to work, but I could take a regular bus as well. And, you know, you just you pick and choose that stuff. Um, that said, for things like if I wanted to, to own my own house, um, I would have to drive. And so I'm not a homeowner for that and other reasons also the, the the sheer cost but yeah uh so anyway how's he doing he's doing fine i think that for the boys their socialization is largely online anyway i mean like yeah. his summer this year is really not that different from last year they don't they get together to me and from my 16 year old self who always wanted to get the hell out of the house i mean i love my parents i, I still have a great relationship with them but by the time i was 16 i was ready to get the hell out um, I, I wanted to get out every day, um, and stay, stay out as long as I could get away with. They don't, right. they don't really get together. I mean, their socialization, and maybe if I had the, you know, and, and you know, it's just all about the internet, you know, he's socializing yeah. way more hours of the day than I ever did. You know, it's, they're, they're just online together all the time. And he has a, you know, gaming PC where he can play these amazing video games. I, I, I guess I wouldn't have left the house either. I think the girls, yeah. you know, we've asked them and I think the girls are taking it a little harder. And I think they still do get together in ways, you know, socially distant, responsible ways, hopefully. Um, but even before the quarantine, the girls in his class got together in ways that seem much more familiar to me as the way that 10th and 11th, 12th grade 
teenagers socialize and get together than the boys did. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So we have a car. We have, we own one car. Uh, it's a 2006 that we bought new. I think it has just under 55,000 miles. So we just – we don't drive much. We have in the past even thought, like, what do we do? Should we get a new car? I mean, it's – a 2006 car is so old that mm-hmm. – uh, it didn't even have – we were one year before Acura put in the 30-pin iPod <laughs> connectors. So right. we don't even have the 30-pin connector, let alone anything that you could connect a modern phone to. There's nothing in there. You know, it, it's – in terms of what you would connect for a road trip, it is, you know, <laughs> it's dark ages. So yeah. we need a new car, but we don't drive. I mean, a car's in fantastic shape. Like I said, it doesn't even have 50,000 miles. But – in the Corona time, we're like, oh, it's good that we own a car, right? Because we, um, I wouldn't want to take an Uber. An Uber would be one of the last things I'd want to do because you're in an enclosed space with somebody who you know is visit, you know, they're they're who's been with a bunch of other people, right? Um, so if we were going to drive anywhere, we would definitely drive our own car. But we drive so little in <laughs> quarantine that the my car battery didn't just die. It died like hard, like the way that you can't even like when you, you know, I have one of those dinguses where you connect it to the, you know, plug it in the wall and it'll, you know, take a kind of dead battery and charge it up. It was like dead to dead to dead because I, I, and I was like, ah, I thought I started this car up a while ago. And then I was thinking about it and it was like, well, wait, I did drive to pick up takeout on Easter. (laughs) And then, like, oh. and it was on Mother's Day when the car wouldn't start, and I was like, "Well, wait." And I was like, "Well, wait." Easter was, uh, uh, nope, nope, that was like six weeks. Yeah, all right, six weeks without starting the car. Yeah, I guess that would do it. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah, but it, in terms of the time, it felt like this is crazy. I just drove the car like a week ago, and then you know it was like six weeks. Right. Well, that's the whole thing, as we were saying earlier, is that days are all blending together. All right. So now like- now I've got a weekly reminder. We put our trash out on Sunday nights. And now before I take the trash out, I start the car up and drive it around the block. That's good. That's smart. Okay. Because it's funny. Um, the <laughs> Jeep it, that I had. It just feels like I, busy work. It's the worst busy work. Oh, totally. Well, the Jeep that I had when I was in high school that I didn't drive, that my friends drove, ran into that same problem where it wouldn't be started or used for a while. And that was like actually the impetus between my, my parents, like letting my friends like drive my car was that they were like, it's, it's just going to sit here and you know, it's the battery will die, die, die. So, you know, it's like, this needs to be driven. You're not going to drive it. If your friend Kelly wants to drive it, if, if your boyfriend Ben wants to drive it, if, you know, other people want to drive it, like they can. I was like, okay, fine. Awesome. As long <laughs> as I don't have to drive it. All right. Let me take a break here before we start the meat of the show and thank our yes. first sponsor. Oh, I'm so glad to have these folks back as a sponsor. Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon makes clothes. They believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. Uh, I own a whole bunch of Mack Weldon products. I really do. Um, I love them. They're, I think they started with underwear. I know that's what they're best known for. They do. They're great underwear, great socks, shirts, undershirts, that sort of thing. Uh, but they've expanded to all sorts of other stuff. They've got sweatpants, hoodies, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and it's just, it's really high quality. If you listen to ATP, you know Marco wears all of this all the time. But they got like the silver line of underwear that are naturally antimicrobial. Microbial. Oh, what a what a mouthful! But anyway, what it means is that they're it's a it's like scientifically designed fabric that eliminates odor. 
And it's, I think it's true. I really don't think it's BS. I think it's really true. It's great stuff. Very comfortable, stylish, great to buy. Here's the reason I'm so glad to have these guys as a sponsor. Months ago, maybe seven, eight, nine months ago, it was before the end times, Merlin Mann was on this show, and I was telling him about my favorite slippers, which are from Mack Weldon. And, and I showed them to him right there on the show, He and he instantly got it. Because the big debate with slippers is whether you have an open back or a closed back, like a shoe. I don't like an open back. I don't like it because then it feels like your slippers are ready to fly off your feet at any time. You come down the stairs, you got like, a, how can you walk around the house with, with slippers that are ready to fly off your feet? You might kill yourself. They've got, but, but Mac Weldon's back is not like a full back where you have to like put on, sit down and put on your slippers. It's just enough that you can put them on without ever touching them with your hands. Your feet go right in, but there's a little thing in the back, locks it in. Also, the most comfortable slippers I've ever owned. They're so great. Merlin and I talked about them. They sold out. They sold out. And what better proof that they should be sponsoring the show? That wasn't even a sponsorship. I was just talking about slippers. They didn't even pay me to say it. I'm telling you right now, if you need slippers. And quite frankly, what a better time What better time to invest in slippers to wear around the house than nine months ago before all this started. I haven't worn anything most days. I would say 90% of the days since this whole thing started, I haven't worn anything but Mack Weldon slippers. They're fantastic. Get the slippers. You, you trust me. You'll, you, you'll thank me for it. Uh, anyway, they also have a rewards program now called Weldon Blue. Level one gets you free shipping for life, which is pretty awesome. Once you reach level two, all you have to do is spend two hundred bucks, and once you reach that level, you start getting twenty percent off every order for the next year. Serious savings. Anyway, love their products. Seriously, buy the slippers. Let's sell them out again. Show them, show them what we can do. Go to MacWeldon.com slash talk show. MacWeldon.com slash talk show. Enter the promo code talk show. No the, just talk show. That's the URL. That's the code. MacWeldon.com slash talk show. And with that code, you get 20% off your first order. So it's like you're already in the loyalty club. Anyway, great, great. I love their stuff. Um, I, I still got the first pair of slippers. I got holes in the soles now. I swear to God, that's all I wear. It's <laughs> uh, good for these times, right? All right. Here's the new thing. I just, I don't know what order to go through the list, but we might as well start with what's fresh on my brain. You put it on the show yeah. notes with the, uh, the G4 Cube 20 years ago. Steve Jobs introduced the G4 Cube. Yeah. You know what's funny? I just posted, I just had to show with my last guest was Adam Lisagor. And he mentioned the G4 Cube, not because it's the 20-year anniversary, but just as an example of a Steve Jobs keynote that gives him goosebumps in terms of the sort of difference, the evolution of Apple keynotes from the Steve Jobs era to where we've gotten today. Yeah. Um, and the, I, I remember that one, yeah. I watched it again. And it's funny because you watch those old ones from 20 years ago, and it's like the only copies are like... I don't quite think they are VHS, but they're like the U. They're SD. Yeah. Well, but it's like bad SD. It's 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 really low bit rate audio. You know, like it's like worse than just 480p. You know, right? I, I don't know how to describe it technically. There's the compression artifacts are pretty significant. Um. But it's still it's you know you still it. it I wonder if you've never seen it before. If you don't remember watching it when it was new, whether it would give you the feels like like it does if you knew, but it's 
Uh, it really was a great introduction. I think it's a product that gets a bad rap. Anyway, Stephen Levy today published a piece in Wired on the 20-year anniversary of it and talking about a private briefing he had with <laughs> Steve Jobs before the announcement. Uh, and then I wrote about it. What were your thoughts? Why'd you put it in the show notes? I'm curious. Yeah, well, well, A, I thought it was kind of interesting what you were saying about how you know Steve Jobs had the ability to go back on his decisions and kind of like rethink things and say, okay, which, you know, you drew the illusions to the app store. And basically uh, I thought that was really interesting. Also, I, I don't know. I love the design of the cube. I always will. My one takeaway is we had, we had one in my high school and it caught on fire <laughs> and I was editing something and it caught on fire. And you, are you serious? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Like it started smoking and then like continued smoking. I, I don't I don't know if there were ever like big flames, but it, it definitely like <laughs> killed it, itself, killed my project. And that distinctive smell of burning electronics. Oh my god, a burning of burning like components and plastic and I mean because you used to see the cracks in them and even if you can buy them now, like all of them have cracks and, and stress stuff and, and I, you know it was bad. It was really, really bad. It, it filled the entire, you know, uh, media lab with, with smoke. It was kind of a disaster. And uh, that's my one, like, the very clear memory of the cube was it was so beautiful. And I was like, and it caught on fire, uh, which I think, you know, it's, the thermals were notoriously bad. I think the design, obviously, what happened there was kind of a precursor to where things were going. And, and it was certainly in a lot of ways, like set the tone for you know small form factor PCs things like the Mac Mini and, and even the miniaturization of just tech in general. But yeah, there there were problems. But and, and I, I do think it's kind of admirable that he he didn't just continue at it. He just yeah. kind of admitted, all right, you know what? Let's let's just scrap it and, and try something different. Try maybe try it again later if we can. But. Like, let's not continue to, even though I think that this design is beautiful in the future, if it's not working, it's not working. Honestly, even more than the App Store, I think about, like, the keyboard. Like, I, I hate the whole notion of, oh, this never would have happened under Steve, because there were plenty of things that happened under Steve that mm. people would use now. It's like, oh, that wouldn't have happened. But I do feel like the keyboard wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been three years. Yeah. Uh, my analogy on that, I, I liken it to... Um I'm not sure which card game, but you know, like you think about like Uno, and it's like if you've got like a draw four, you want to keep that, right? You you keep that draw four card, you know. And the idea isn't that you never play it, right? You got your playing to win, and it's like the these Steve Jobs never would have done this card as a pundit or just commentator on Twitter. It's like you should be really conservative with it and keep that in your deck. Yep. But it's not that doesn't mean you never play it. Right. And I think the keyboard is the keyboard issue with the MacBooks is a good example. It's, it is good. They did go back. They did redo it and they did admit it as best that you could expect that. I mean, what do you want them to do? You know, they're not going to like grovel in front of the world and say, you know, we really screwed up <laughs> that keyboard. You know, they, when they fixed it, they fixed it right. They really yeah, did. For sure. And it, the question is, should it have taken three years? And I think the answer is no. And I do think that there's a sort of hubristic uh, you know, success breeds hubris. Of course it does, mm -hmm. right? And Apple has been extremely successful. So you really, the more successful you are, the more you have to consciously 
really self-consciously guard against succumbing to hubris. I think. I, I think that's true of anything in life, big or small. No, I, th- I, no, I think you're right, and I think that that's actually why so oftentimes, and it's not just Apple, it's, it's any big company, it's any successful person, you do have to keep yourself in check because if you don't, you will miss the next coming thing. I think that's sometimes why why some people and, and, and companies and things miss trends is they just don't see it coming because they're not constantly asking those questions. And I think it's also one of those things where you have to There's this weird, like, I guess, feedback loop where if you are so successful and if what you're doing is continuing to get you not just um, applause and uh, people cheering for you, but also tons and tons and tons of money, people are like voting financially with it. That I can understand that that creates some sort of dissonance of asking questions. Is this the right thing or not? But I I think to your point, it's important that you still do that. And I I think it's even more important that if you start to hear, even if it's small comparatively, if you start to hear the same rumors and the same type of, you know, feedback or, or critiques, or in some cases, just outright like outrage, like this is bad over and over again, like it's important to, if you can, to try to listen to that and and take action on that yeah. because that's usually indicative that something big is happening. Like when when the outline article went out about the keyboard, and that wasn't the first thing that had happened, but it was certainly kind of like the catalyst. Yeah. I think that that would be K- um, Casey Johnston's. Um, yes, excellent, excellent piece. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that was definitely the uh, the thing that set things in motion. And to me, I don't know. I mean, I know that the design cycles and stuff takes a long time, but like, I don't know. To me, I feel like that would have been a moment where like at a company's best, that would be the sort of thing where you would go, okay, you know what? We need to regroup because this is going to blow up into something bigger. And even if it doesn't become what it became, this is representative of something not being right. And we need to reassess, is this actually the best thing? Or like, rather than taking the the approach of, you know, having on background meetings with reporters to tell them how small the actual replacement rates were right. and, and things like that, you know, rather than kind of taking that approach, which frankly, I think comes across to your users as disingenuous and ends up prolonging something. And, and you know, uh, I think both you and I commented on Jason Snell's Apple report card this year about the like, long lasting negative impact that the keyboard will have. Yeah. And and I, I I frankly worry about that. Like they have fixed it and it is good, but it's so much harder to win people back than it is to go in that other direction, right? Like yeah. when you make a mistake or when you lose favor on something, it is so, so, so much harder to get people back on your side and to forget about that. And Apple, because they've had so much success, they haven't had to deal with something like that in in a really long time. And I mean, honestly, it was a much more minor thing, but you look at the way the iPhone 4 was handled and, and the mm-hmm. antenna gate, they had the bumpers out. They had that program launched like ASAP. Well, the bumpers know? were, the bumpers were, um, they debuted with the iPhone 4. So they right. didn't create the bumper in response, but what they did right. is okay, they just enough. said, "Here, we'll give everybody a bumper. We'll just give everybody. But you buy an iPhone four, you get a bumper, and if you okay, that's, and that, it, that's a good point. But but still, but it's still you're you're right though. But I was it's funny though. You totally read my mind because I was going to bring up Antenna Gate as the you know the the contrast with the keyboard thing, and the bumpers are fine, and the way the, and because they were trying to make money with the bumpers, like so totally. I, I feel like they kind of lucked into the bumper thing, so. My 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 theory on the bumper, and I think it's pretty transparently, 
obvious. I, I, I would, I would be. I think you'd be very hard pressed to come up with a counter argument that holds water. So here's my argument on the bumpers. So there's the iPhone, the iPhone 3G, and then the iPhone 3GS. And then the fourth year, they went to iPhone 4, which is kind of crazy. Like that's, you know, in hindsight, like if you go back like three years on iPhone, yeah, yeah, but you're still like, what, it's iPhone 10, it's like mostly the same. Yeah. Um, like going from the original iPhone to the iPhone 4 Massive. in three years is pretty impressive. Because, uh, you know, a totally different form factor, totally you know, went went from pre-retina to retina. You know, there were only three iPhones that weren't retina, which is in yeah. hindsight kind of crazy because I still feel like half of the iPhone era was looking at the right, the like fuzziness. Yeah, the fuzziness. Well, well, not only that, but it was not only did you have retina, but front-facing camera, which yeah. oh yeah, game changer. Yeah, I mean, totally. honestly, I think yeah. as much as retina, <laughs> I would say the front-facing camera is bigger, Imagine. honestly, from an impact. Right. And the original one had a back-facing camera that didn't shoot video. Imagine right. selling a imagine selling a uh. and put your finger on the idea that that the iPhone 12 years ago is a long time, right? Because we'll come back to mm-hmm. this. Um but yeah, imagine selling a phone today where there is no front-facing camera, period, and the back-facing camera doesn't shoot video. <laughs> So just put aside the quality of the back-facing stills because they were at least comparable to the other cameras of the time. They were, sure. you know, in line. But it didn't even shoot video. It's insane, and it just doesn't seem that long ago. But anyway, I think one of the things that happened in those crazy first three, four, five years of iPhone where it went from uh, it just – didn't exist, seemed too good to be true, to here we are, it's iPhone 4, it's a totally new design, it's gone from non-retina to retina. But I think one of the things that happened around, and they had this thing and it continued for a few years, where each new iPhone, for at least six or seven years, not only outsold all of the previous ones, but it outsold all of the previous ones combined. Yeah. So... That was true past the iPhone 4, but the 3GS was so popular that it outsold the iPhone original and the 3G combined. But I think one of the things that happened as it exploded in popularity and, and clearly quickly went from the, you know, people who listened to the talk show, like me and you, who, you know, waited in line for the original one, uh, yeah. to real people out in the world buying these was that everybody was putting them in cases. And they it clearly was not meant to be put in a case, but normal people buy a $700 phone and they think, I don't want to break the damn thing. I'm going to put it in a case. And I think the whole story of the bumpers is that Apple was like, oh my God, we've spent all this time making these things look good. And yeah, the 3G and 3GS don't look that great because we went to this plastic back for antenna reasons and blah, blah, blah. But look, we've not only gone beaten that, we've gone to this glass back steel side design with the iPhone 4 that's really awesome. Apparently is more what they had in mind at the outset in 2005, 2006, when they were developing the original iPhone all along. And in fact, according to rumors, is where they're going later this year with next generation iPhone 12s. This sort of flat back, flat sides sort of aesthetic that we now see on the iPad Pro. 
It, it's a great look. It seems more timeless. You can see why they're going for it. And they, they, you, I, my, I think it's very clear. They thought, oh my God, and everybody's going to put it in a case. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so they, totally. they thought, well, why don't we, if they just want to protect the damn thing, well, how about we'll make and sell bumpers that leave the back open so you can see exactly. the- Exactly, so it still looks nice. And you can yeah. feel it. You can see and feel this glass that we want you to see and feel because it's nice. That's the reason the bumpers existed, I think, clearly. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think it's also telling that, you know, other than the battery cases, um, that the first cases that Apple really kind of uh, embraced were very thin, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, and now they have the clear cases, which I have on, on my uh, um, 11 Pro Max. Um, and I, 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 I've gone back and forth, but I've been a naked phone carrier, been a, a case person. Uh, now it wouldn't matter, to be totally honest, because I don't go anywhere. But, uh, you know, there have been too many times when I've been like, okay, if, if this breaks, even though I have Apple Care, that's going to take time out of my day and this is expensive. And now they're so expensive. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in a case. But I think that, that they followed the same sort of approach. They're like, okay, if we've made these beautiful designs, we want to do yeah. whatever the most minimal thing possible can be. Like, but then you know, to... But then Antenna Gate happened, and they were like, yeah. well, we have the bumper, and the bumper actually solves the whole attenuation problem if you have it, so we'll just give it to everybody. And then I think they ran away from bumpers permanently because bumpers mm -hmm. became associated with yeah. Antenna Gate. Right? Oh, that's a great point. Oh, that's an excellent point because it would be interesting. Like now you could actually see, I wouldn't mind if I had some sort of thin kind right. of bumper thing. If that's, I would actually like that. But I think you're exactly right because when I think bumper, the first thing I think is Antenna Gate. Like that's... They're like they're yeah. inextricably twined. I, I wonder. That's my theory. I don't know if it would work. I'm looking at the back of my iPhone 11 now. I don't know if a bumper would work with the camera cut out. You might have to design a phone with the camera inset enough to accommodate it. I don't know. But the whole idea of bumper style cases has just gone away. I thought they were great if you were going to. And I actually knew. I knew way more people who used Apple bumpers with the iPhone mm -hmm. 4 and 4s. Than who use Apple branded cases now, like almost oh, yeah. nobody uses Apple branded cases. Even though, in my opinion, they're pretty nice cases. They're yeah. very nice. They're very nice, but they're expensive, and yeah. I think that's that's the big thing. They and and they're expensive to the point where, to be like totally candid, I don't think it's worth like okay, it's seventy dollars or something for the clear case for the, yeah. the Pro Max. I think a, a Spigen case is going to be like twenty. Yeah, um, it's nicer than the Spigen case. I don't think it's $50 nicer. Yeah. So that makes it hard, I think, for – and for a lot of people, they won't even acknowledge that there's a – they won't even know that there's a difference, you know? Right. So I, I think that's the that's the struggle. Like the leather cases, I feel the same way about the iPad. I'm so mad about my smart cover that I got from my 11-inch iPad Pro. That thing was so expensive, and it's <laughs> probably the worst <laughs> Apple cover case anything I've ever owned. And it's, it's falling apart. Yeah. I need a new one. But I also, like, am adamantly angry right. about – having to spend that much money on this, you know, like <laughs> magnet with like a flap. My, my wife has a, a, the 13 inch or 12.9 inch iPad Pro and that's not, not no keyboard cover, just, you know, just the cover cover. I don't yeah, know what you call it. The, yeah, the smart cover. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've got. I get so confused because yeah. it's like there's the smart cover and the smart. It's like what's smart about it? I don't know why they call it smart. Like the smart Magnets. keyboard is kind of smart because it's a keyboard, but 
like a cover is kind of dumb, like not in a negative way. So I'm sure no, totally. I'm not advocating them recalling it the dumb cover. No, I think the reason they did originally was that the first ones had like the magnet ability, so it could open, it could turn it on, like when you would open it up. And so the ones that were like a like polyethylene or or vinyl or whatever that would you know be able to kind of fold and to a stand. I think that was the big difference was that. When you open it up, your iPad would turn on, the, and when you closed it, it would turn off. It's the same way that I completely forget. Once it's two years out of date, I completely forget the, which named version of macOS goes to which version number. Like, yeah. like I do, and I love it when they go and they do Lion, then Mountain Lion, because I know Mountain Lion came after Lion, but damn exactly. if I could tell you what, what number it was. I don't know. You know so. Yeah, all, all the cats, I know all the cats, and it's when they get into like the uh, the, the, the Sierra and High Sierra right. Mavericks and all that stuff. That's when I'm like, all right, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know Except anymore. I do know High Sierra came after Sierra. <laughs> but, yes, But anyway, I enough. feel the same way with Smart Blank. But anyway, my wife's... <laughs> smart cover for her iPad Pro looks like she picked it out of the trash. I mean, it is Mine too. Yep. It is frayed at the corners and and every other thing she owns in her life, whether it is uh technical or Apple or uh, I, almost every other thing she owns from clothing to makeup to cooking equip stuff anything she owns her 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 uh, weightlifting equipment and exercise equipment and her gym stuff it all looks like she could send it back and get a refund as new even though she's been using it like she takes uh, tremendous care of everything she owns the iPad itself again looks like if you just you know wipe the fingerprints off the screen you could take it back but the cover it looks like she trash picked it it's unbelievable i don't understand how that how something so expensive could be so fragile but anyway anyway it's a very short digression on the difference in how long it took them to address antenna gate and the keyboard and boy that that antenna gate thing was very steve jobsian and i wonder i do i often think about that and i i've thought about that and it's like what would happen if they had the something exactly analogous to antennagate now would they address it as quickly as they did uh, it was truly one of the most extraordinary of all my time covering apple it was one of the most extraordinary things uh, i've ever went through and i'm so glad that i did i would have been if i had been like a couple years behind on getting into getting press passes and stuff like that for things like that I would have been so, you know, like before my time, like I wasn't there for like the original iPod introduction in 2001 right. uh, after 9-11. Um, and I always wished, boy, that would have been a good one. Like Jason Snow was there and it seems like that was a good event. Um, just in, in the context of post 9-11 America and it was a small thing. Yeah. And, and sort of a, a, a device that came out of nowhere. But the antenna gate thing was so bizarre because it was like – trying to remember what day of the week it happened I, it was like i i i, I want to say that that was i'm pretty sure that it was like it might have even happened on like a friday or something it wasn't yeah I, that's what i feel like it was yeah. really late yeah. because i i remember so i was uh, the first apple event i ever actually got like a press credential to was for the iphone 4 and then my flight got in late and I wasn't able to go and I had to send someone else in my place. And then that person was rude at the antenna gate event the following week. And then that messed up my Apple relationship for like another <laughs> two and a half years. So 
like it set me back Rude. and I was so pissed. Like, 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 like yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not going to like put the guy on blast, but if I did, like people would understand. Like I, I totally think I'm, I'm positive. Like I'd heard from other people. I was like, yeah, I, I can completely believe that. Um, and so that, you know, like messed up my relationship then like for, for years, like took me like effort to kind of claw back or whatever. And, but I remember like covering it and yeah, so the event happened and then the following week or at, maybe it was a few weeks later, whenever it shipped, um, yeah, it was like late in the week. It was like a Thursday or Friday and it was early the next week when they had pivoted from the, you're holding it wrong to having the, the, the kind of emergency meeting and issuing everybody the free bumpers or credit if you'd already bought one, you know, you could get an Apple one or a third party one and like it was stunning like it completely it was so quick and it totally i mean they completely managed the situation in a way that um like and not just comparing it to other apple issues but if you look at like an obviously completely different level like not even close but when the when the note 7 caught on fire like speaking right. of things catching on fire when that caught on fire like samsung was so slow to respond to that and then it caught on fire the second time like Obviously, the the antenna gate, completely different thing, apples to oranges, but they still responded so quickly yeah. that it, it was pretty incredible, honestly. I can't imagine what other event it would have been. So it must have been antenna gate. And I don't know if it was a Friday or a Thursday or what, but it was like there was one day of the week where somebody from Apple PR called me and inquired about my availability, like maybe Monday and I was like, yeah, probably. And, you know, and again, typical Apple PR. I wouldn't say what it was about, but it was right. sort of like, but also Apple PR not really, you know, was over the phone. So there's no literal winking, but there is, when you deal with them, they won't say anything that would confirm, but there's also an acknowledgement that you know, that I know, that we both know this is about the antenna thing. And they don't, you know, it, 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 it I guess it's sort of not telling you what it's about, but also not gaslighting you about it, right? There is sort of a, yeah, you know, like we won't say it, but yeah. And then it was like a callback. And instead of like talking about Monday, it was like, could you be here tomorrow morning? <laughs> and it was, you know, from Philadelphia, that's actually like, I don't know. That's hard. And I remember it because the, the thing that I remember is I flew an airline that I've never flown before or after, uh, probably either Delta or United. Like Delta and United are major airlines, but they have like almost no presence in Philadelphia. Everything's, uh, at the time, was U.S. Air. Now it's American. Um, but at the time, also, American when U.S. Air and American were different, they were actually both pretty big in Philly and Southwest. And it was like the only flight, non the only way to get to San Francisco that night was like a United flight. It was like two in the afternoon. It was like a four thirty flight. Didn't actually cost that much. I guess it's sort of like that that whole game you play with last minute travel, where it's like sometimes they'll they'll like charge you first class flight prices for the seat next to the toilet in the back of the plane, right. and other times they're like, oh my god, you'll buy the an empty seat on this plane that's leaving in two hours. Sure, here is four hundred bucks, and it's like, oh, that's not bad, you know, and like. It, right. Like the price wasn't a problem. It was, uh, can I, can I pack a bag and 
get there. Right. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, is there enough time? Right. And I just checked. It was actually 10 years ago last week. The time that it changed was July 12th when Consumer Reports, which was a Monday, and Consumer Reports basically said that it couldn't recommend the right. iPhone 4 because of the antenna issues. And then they had the event on the 16th, which would have been a Friday. Yep, so it was a Friday. So it was like a th- so it was Thursday. And I didn't – so I got the call like Philadelphia time, like 2 in the afternoon, like, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to have it a thing tomorrow morning. I was on like a 415 United flight to SFO – you know, and I pack light and I live close to the airport. So it actually, I remember it was actually wasn't even hectic. It was like, it wasn't even like, I'm, oh God, is how old I am. OJ Simpson running down the, <laughs> the airport terminal. Uh, you know, it was like casual, but it was like all of a sudden I'm like, you know, on an airplane to California and two and a half hours before I thought I was, you know, sitting at home. Um, but it was that quick, that fast. And it sort of, you know, uh, not that they were winging it, but that they literally at the last minute, you know, and again, would Apple do this today? Impossible to, it's really hard to conceive that they would, that they opened the event with Jonathan Mann's iPhone yes. 4 antenna song. Which, and, and Jobs was dancing to it, which is so great. Like right. there was the little moment where you could like see him dancing uh, to, if, if you don't like it, don't buy it. Like, yeah, if you don't so like good. it, don't buy it. And I, I don't think John. I've t- I've spoken to Jonathan Mann several times about it. It was a huge thrill for him. They did get his permission. It was, and again, very last minute. It was like they got a hold of him somehow, and it, and we're like, hey, can we? Can we? Would you sign this thing that says we can use this song? And he's like, what? Serious? What? Still had no idea what, and he was like, "Of course, here, whatever you need." And then to find out that they opened the event with it, he had no idea. All he knew is that he'd given them permission to use it, and it's because the song expressed what they wanted to say, yeah, which, or at least couldn't. what Steve wanted to say, in a friendly, funny, this is all a big joke way. But the the lyrics, if you don't want it, don't buy it. <laughs> was like. It's almost like I, I almost feel like Jobs wanted to say, you know what? We actually had a thing to tell you about, but that song actually says it all. So there you go. Here's a free bumper. Um. Anyway, but it was different, and it did nip it in the bud in a way. But it does go to the so. I think they dealt with it very effectively. I think it is a textbook example that you could do not just a lecture on, but an entire segment of of course in public relations. no, it's it's like Bear or or Tylenol or whoever yeah. um, it was. Who it, it's one of those levels, yeah. and obviously, again, the stakes are completely different. Uh, I no way want to equate right. people dying uh, because people were you know uh, poisoning medicine with uh, you know your cyanide. attenuation on yeah, yeah exactly cyanide yeah with, with attenuation on your phone. But you're completely right. Like this, if it's I'm it, now it's been a decade. I'm sure it's being taught in business schools. Yeah. Like, I'd be shocked if it was PR schools it is. too, you know, oh, like totally, learning how to deal totally. with public relations. And it actually would make a good back to back thing with the Tylenol where here's, here's high stakes life and death, but only like 10 people. And they actually, you know, they actually knew which, and, and that's, that's sort of the AB scenario that makes it so different. So you've got a totally different thing in the stakes where one was there really were people who, Bought, you know, a handful of people, but they really did buy containers of Tylenol that were laced with cyanide. Mm-hmm. So that's a real life and death issue. Can't stakes don't go any higher. And then you're, you know, yeah, we're talking about iPhone attenuation, and it wasn't like your phone couldn't make phone calls. You know, unless you lived on a 
somewhere where you had really sketchy service to begin with, it's like, come on, right. this is not it, not the it, biggest totally. problem in the world. But, and honestly, I think but it was but, it was a big contrast in how many people were affected. Tylenol knew exactly which vials had the cyanide. They really didn't. It wasn't like they took it all off the shelves because they weren't sure. They knew exactly which ones, you know, that the kook who did this had access to. You know, if you just look at all of it's not like a new thing. Even back in the 80s, they had numbers on the bottom of the thing that mm-hmm. told them which ones were packed on which day and stuff like that. But they just did that for the public relations. Whereas the iPhone attenuation issue wasn't just a bad batch of 10 iPhones. It was endemic to the design of the iPhone 4. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, but, but yeah, so it, it affected everyone's and they obviously couldn't do the thing. They're not going to recall the phone. Um, but coming up with a way to mitigate it and handle it. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it, it largely was successful. I mean, there were people who would still kind of make the cracks and whatnot, but I, interestingly, and the similar thing happened with Bengate, which was much smaller, where what happened would be that people would test other phones, <laughs> which in some ways gives Apple like clearance, because then you're not alone, right? right? So it's like, okay, this other phone has this issue too. Just like this other phone, if you are purposefully bending it, I'm rolling my eyes, um, and, you know, is going to going to break. So that that's the that's the I guess was the good thing for them is that any long lasting damage because they handled it so quickly, I think they had a lot of cover because everybody was testing every phone at that point, not just iPhones. Yeah. Which brings us to my point, which is why, why not pull a Steve jobs with the app store stuff? Yeah, I agree. Uh, And I I wonder if it, part of it is that Hooper's thing you talk about. They've been so successful. Yeah. And they've kind of created this this market that other people have um, followed. I mean, they weren't the first digital market, but they with iTunes definitely the first substantial one. And you know their their commission model has been uh, you know copied by everyone. But their the criticisms that have been lobbied against them by by developers have been happening for years, and and it's just building and building and building. And I wonder if. It's the hubris of we've been so successful and we continue to generate so much more revenue that blinds people from seeing that. And then there's a really cynical part of me that also thinks revenue is now the thing that is driving growth of the company. Or not revenue, uh, uh, services are now the thing that are driving growth of the company. So it's, it's no longer phone sales. It was phone sales and hardware sales for many, 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 many years. That's no longer what's driving the company growth. The only way the company continues to grow is if it is, which is what Wall Street wants. Now, whether it needs to grow or not, I think, is a different question. But if the company is going to continue to grow the way that Wall Street wants, their one real avenue is to increase services. And that's why we've seen this tremendous, tremendous like like push of services, whether it's putting, you know, different like ads in your in, in the wallet app um, and you know, trying to encourage people to upsell to either, you know, Apple Music. If you have Apple Music, buy a family plan. I'm like, I don't have anybody else in a family account. Like why why are you showing me that? Uh, you know, to Apple News Plus and and whatnot. They are they're really, really doubling and tripling down on services. So I think the cynical part of me is that the people who might be arguing that Apple go back and kind of have the Steve Jobs moment and revisit things are being talked over by the people who are like, okay, but if we do that, we potentially lose this much money, which we need to continue to show growth. There's a lot to unpack there. That was absolutely excellent. (laughs) 
I can't believe that it came out extemporaneously. That you could just like transcribe that, post it. Um, I let's actually put it, but that's so good, and there's so much to unpack. Let's put a put a finger on it because we'll come right back to it. And let me just take a break here uh, and thank our next sponsor, our good friends at Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace! Look, we're all locked up. We're inside. It's like it's like New Year's all of year long, where you have time to do like resolution type stuff. But instead of not doing it and just sort of forgetting about it, why not? Why not take take this summer? You're not going anywhere. If you're not going anywhere, why not get that to-do off your list of like a website you wanted to build or maybe an old website you wanted to upgrade, make it modern, get it, get, get all the stuff that you don't need to worry about. Like, like is your server running the right operating system? Do you have software updates that are like security vulnerabilities, stuff like that? You don't want to deal with that if you just want to have a website. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that absolves you of all that stuff you don't want to deal with, like operating system and server upgrades and security updates, and does give you everything you do want, which is control over what is on your website, what it's called, including domain name registration, what it looks like, and the design. It gives you complete control over it. If you want to be a nerd and do it like by tweaking CSS and writing JavaScript, you can do it. And if you just want to do it pure WYSIWYG and drag stuff around, they've got it. Also, one of my favorite analytics panels I've ever seen, just fantastic in terms of showing you who's looking at your website, where are they coming from, what's popular, what's going on. And it's not just like a data dump. It is like an actual dashboard dashboard that gives you important information in a well-designed way. Really underrated part of the whole Squarespace experience. Go there. Do it. You get a free trial, 30 days, all for real, not like with like a big you know Squarespace trial watermark stamped on your site. No, it's for real. You could just like get started. Don't even pay. Spend 30 days getting it off the ground. Then when you like it, pay uh, go to squarespace.com slash talk show to get started, get that free trial going. And just remember that same code talk show. When you do pay, when your free trial's over, you get 10% off your first purchase and you can do it for a whole year at once. Save 10% on a whole year. Squarespace.com slash talk show. So yeah, let's unpack this bit by bit. Um, so one way to do it is, and, and, and what I'm saying, and so there's the, the app store angle, and then there's the services growth angle. And, and to me, that's one way of just forking this whole discussion two ways. And yes, they do come together. They're not, you know, completely unrelated because a lot of what people are complaining about and on the laundry list of things some people want to see changed at the app store is the issue of Apple's 30% commission and the rules over which apps and for which reasons have to use the in-app purchases to, to go through commerce and Apple gets 30% of that. And it's a lot of money and it all counts as quote unquote services and services is their narrative growth. Their, their narrative to wall street of how we're, the company's growing. It's the division that we break out. We being Apple break out that is growing. Um, so I get it. They're not unrelated, but I think we can kind of unpack them separately Right. So what are the things, what's the list of things some people would like to see changed at the App Store? Um, one of them is the 30-70 split 
that turns to 85.15 for a subscription after a year. And some people would like to see Apple charge less than 30%, uh, at least to start. You know, like for example, you could say, what if you start at 85.15 and then subscriptions go to 7.5% after a year or something like that? Or just 85.15 and that's it. You know, yeah. just skip right to the 85.15 and keep it there. Just go to the one year mark and do everything 85.15. Um, there's that. There's the you can't use other payment stuff. You can't just say, uh, well, I'm not using your in app purchase. I'll just take the credit card in my app to turn it from the free trial to the full version. Um, right. Then there's the outside thing, which I like to call the Netflix rule, right? So you download mm-hmm. Netflix. Netflix is on your phone and you launch it and it says, what's your email and password to sign into Netflix? And if you have one, you sign it in and then you're using Netflix. And if you don't, you have to figure out on your own. You have to go to Netflix, sign up, pay them there, then come back and do it. Um, that's where the whole, hey, email uh, thing blew up because that's what the Basecamp company is doing with Basecamp and has been doing for a while. Very successful product, you know, that's been around for years, but their their iOS app strategy is that they have an app that you download and you launch it and it says what's your Basecamp email and password. And if you don't have one, you kind of have to go figure it out, but then they collect all right. the money on this side. They do it like Netflix. They assumed they could do the same thing with Hey their email app and service because there are in fact that's because a that's what they did with Basecamp b that's what apps like Netflix etc do and c that's what other email apps even do specifically right. email and then they found out from Apple that no we would you know if you want to be in the app store you've got to have an option to sign up in the app which would give Apple the 70/30 split for the first year and then 85/15 thereafter uh, what else? People uh, want side loading. They want you to be able to. What if you could treat your iPhone like a Mac, where you can just if if you don't like the deal, you could just go to hey.com and download their app and install it on your phone separately, right. not going through the store. So sure, you can do whatever you want with your store, but let us go outside the store, and you know even have that off by default, like the Mac with um, all the what do they call it. Gatekeeper Gate, or whatever. Yeah, gatekeeper. Um, so, you know, on by default, only App Store only. Then you'd go into settings and say, turn off gatekeeper and let me, you know, and then there'd be a warning that says, you know, something hopefully not, not too alarmist, but act, technically accurate description of the risks of turning it off. Turn it off. And now you can install apps from apps of the App Store. People want them to allow uh, rival app stores, which I guess if you had sideload, well, no, maybe not. Actually, that would be separate. Um, yeah, it's a separate thing. They they want an alternative distribution right. thing, so they want like someone like Epic or you know Steam or someone like right. that to be able to have their own rules and, and own store right. or specific things. R- yeah. Right, but just al- I, the the reason I had to correct myself there is just allowing sideloading through Gatekeeper would not necess- would not allow. You you might think on your off the top of your head like I was thinking, even though I know better. Well, if they allow you to install whatever you want, whatever you want might be a thing that's also an app store. But that that the thing I was forgetting was that even with Gatekeeper, you can be sandboxed, and the idea mm-hmm. would be even with side loaded apps, they would still be 
sandboxed and the sandbox is a technical thing, not a voluntary thing. Um, and you would have to sign your app, you know, well, that's the thing, right? It would need to be signed. It would right. still need to go through me notarized. Right. And Apple could yeah. revoke your developer certificate to disable the app, even if it's not going through the app store, if it was found to be malware or otherwise harmful or dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that's a basic list of the things. And, you know, some of them are about money and some of them are not. But all of them, you might argue, at some degree would mean Apple's making less money from third-party apps. And so, therefore, it's a non-starter. Um, and I think that's foolish. I think it's I, – I, it might be true. But basically, my argument, it comes down to not everything can have a dollar value. And, and right. I think that uh, – it, it, and if you're looking at the world through Wall Street, Wall Street is sort of set up. The whole idea of a stock price is to take the entirety of an, a company. And these the companies that we're talking about, uh, you know, like your Apples and Microsofts and Googles and even Facebook and these giant companies, it's very hard to encapsulate them into a very neat package, let alone one number. But that's what... The idea of a stock price is that you take all of the complexity and the future, the entire future of a giant multinational corporation, and you assign a dollar value to, to it. And you say, that's what the company's worth. And that's what it would cost for you to buy a fractional share of the company. That's what it is. Now, to, if, to me, I'm not saying the stock market should be abolished. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. You know, it's, it, that's not my argument. What I'm saying, though, is that that is one way of looking at it and it might be necessary it is necessary to have publicly held corporations but that doesn't actually encompass all of it it's like saying that you know a movie is what it makes at the box office and therefore right. the the box off the best you know whichever movies make the most money are the best movies well very few people would agree with that even if their favorite three movies happen to be the three movies that made the most, they'd still, I think even those people would agree, well, that, that's just, I happen to like blockbusters or I like these blockbusters. I'm not arguing that that's a measure of the value of right. the movies. I mean, I mean, some Marvel fanboys and some like Lord of the Ring fanboys would, would probably take that, but I think in general, right, right that's, <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, but, yeah. So, is are there other things that can't, Put a value that Apple can't put a value on, you know, financial, a dollar amount. I would say that it is impossible to put a dollar amount on the regulatory headwinds they're currently facing. Tim, yes. Tim Cook is currently scheduled to testify next week before Congress. I, it, it was originally scheduled for Monday, and that's not going to happen Monday because of the um, ceremonies involving John Lewis, uh, who died last week. Uh, he'll be resting in state. So I, I, I think, I don't know if they officially announced that it's postponed, but I, I think all of that testimony is, I don't know if it's postponed days, a week or whatever, but it's coming. It is definitely going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and all of this, I mean, that, that testimony isn't going to be the end of it. Um, no. Well, and it's not just the U.S., right? Like, I right. think, to me, I would be much more concerned about the European Commission. Right. Uh, because of their history right. with with what they do with that. But yeah, sorry, go on. I, I just don't think that even if you might be able, you probably could take some of those policies that I listed and, you know, let's just say the easiest one to me would be the, let's just 
change 70-30 to 85-15 across the board, right? And there, mm-hmm. there the repercussions and what would happen afterwards are the easiest to measure because you're not talking – I mean, and to me, like the most radical would be like what if we just said we'll, we'll have third-party app stores and Google can have an app store and Facebook can have an iPhone app store and Epic can have one where they sell games. Like obviously that would change the platform in far more significant ways – and financial ways for Apple. Let's just talk eighty-five fifteen, right? There, you really could mostly measure this in money. It would be more money to developers without raising, without changing the prices of their products in this app store. Yep. Uh, you know, because fifteen and thirty are different numbers, and it would be less money for Apple. I thinking, you know, off the top right away, but maybe. If it got more developers to get into the store and do it this way, like what if – I don't think they would in particular. But let's just say that if Apple said it's eight eighty five fifteen, maybe the Basecamp people would say, hey, that's good enough for us. We will put hey yeah. in the App Store and more apps would do it. So you can't quite say that doing that would reduce Apple's money, right? And it, you know, without devolving Yeah, into- it's hard to say. And because I think I think the big thing there would be would you be able to retain the services that are the number one apps, or the number one services? Like would, you know, the Spotify's and the Netflix's would they not remove the the in-app right. purchase module? That that I think is the question. Uh, would a fifteen percent you know um, uh, split be worth it to them? And in some cases, it might be. It depends on the margin of the business because you can make the argument, and I think it's a very good argument to say, okay, by being in the app store and having this mechanism, you this is essentially a way to onboard new users who you might not otherwise be able to get. I think that what Netflix in particular is so opposed to, and they're not wrong, is that at this point, I don't know if anyone is going to learn about Netflix for the first time by going to the App Store. So Netflix, understandably, in my opinion, is like the App Store is doing nothing to bring me a net new customer. They already know about the service. They are already going to be using this on other devices too, especially if they're using any sort of TV device, which is where a tremendous amount of Netflix content is consumed. Um, Apple TV has gone from being a large share of what the premium services, the percentage of things watched to a very small share. And so I, I think from Netflix's perspective, they're like, we're not getting new customers from this. But for smaller video services, streaming services, and for other subscription services that have to maybe adjust their rates because of the app store percentage. If it were cut down, there's a possibility that they might not take the the, the hay approach and be like, we're not going to leave. We'll stay because that 15%, even though that can be a lot, compensates for what we're getting both in terms of billing and some of the support things and, and currency you know, uh, negotiations and whatnot, um, as well as bringing us uh, net new users who we wouldn't be able to grab directly from our website or what other sort of paid media we would have to do. Right. Um, so that's why I I would say more than the eighty five fifteen, even though it's gotten the most attention. And I'll get I'll get back to this attention on that seventy thirty split. To me, if I if you said to me, John, we really we, you know. We hear you on this App Store stuff. We've you've got five minutes with Tim Cook to change to bend his to to bend his ear on this and maybe change his mind. 
I would focus entirely on the idea of extending what I call the Netflix rule to all developers. Yes. And uh, and I would just say on my when my five minutes is over and they're escorting me out the door and he's thanking me and of course you know poker face that Tim Cook has giving nothing right like that to me is the difference between like Steve Jobs and and Tim Cook is that you could read Steve Jobs like a book right like doesn't matter what he's saying if he if he thinks you're a bozo you're a bozo whereas Tim right. Cook you get nothing thank you John. And and as I'm leaving, I would just say, and by the way, maybe think about eighty five fifteen instead of seventy thirty, <laughs> right? But I would spend the whole time trying to pitch him on just open the Netflix rule to everybody because as it's instituted right now with this quote unquote, they call them reader apps, which is ridiculous. Yep. But Completely it speaks ridiculous. to the fact Apple again. It's it gets to the fact naming things is hard, and Apple is actually really good at naming things in general. Maybe not their products. <laughs> Right. <laughs> hey, look, I work at I work at a place where naming is not what we're good at. Right. So I think they're pretty good but, at naming, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, you know, they're pretty good at naming things. And when it comes to things like that, they're usually pretty good. And calling Netflix a reader app or Spotify a reader app, which is fantastic. It's a fantastic one two combo because one yeah. of them you pretty much just listen to, and the other one you right. pretty much are watching shows. Yeah. My, my, you know what my theory on that is? My theory on that is that it all started with, with the with the Kindle. So that was the first time that mm-hmm. they started to enforce these rules, and this was in 2011. And Sony was hit first because Sony had a, an e-reader store that was only available in their app. You couldn't actually go to their website. And so Sony was hit first, and Sony was banned. And I actually remember because I had a conversation with Apple PR, and they explained that to me, that because that the, the store exists only inside the application, that's why Sony would need to pay 30% for all their ebook purchases. And what Sony wound up doing, because they didn't have the infra to create and set up like a, a full web store, uh, is they just ended the store. And, and that, I think, was one of the things that led to them exiting that part of the e-reader business. So for a while, for another few weeks, Kindle was fine. Because, you know, the original Kindle app on, on iPad and on iPhone, you could buy within um, like a web view um, in, in the application. Then that switched and Kindle had to comply or get out. And even at first, I think very briefly, they were allowed to have a link right. to the store. And then that was very quickly turned down. And so the the way around that i think was that you know um uh, amazon created like an html5 uh, like a version of um the, the the kindle store that was kind of optimized for ipad and they would have instructions where they'd show you how you could put it on your home screen and kind of have to teach people how to do that process um it, it was it was difficult for them to be explicit about it but they were as explicit as they could be and so my my view is that the reason they call them reader apps is because it started with that. It extended to, to Netflix and Spotify, and that became the much bigger thing. But I think because it started with the Kindle, because that was the first one. That was the first time that they ever started enforcing that kind of 30% on these digital goods purchased from other you know third parties that, okay, Apple gets a cut too, even, even though, you know, presumably um, – I, I don't even know how you would bring something like the Kindle store to the iPhone, right? Like you'd right. have to upload every single item for an in-app purchase. Like there, there'd be no way to even do that. But they were just saying, okay, if you want that, then we need to get a cut. And I, I, that's my theory is why they call it reader apps, even though it's completely not accurate for what 
right. apps actually and, use that loophole now. And, and you know, and they've made other exceptions. There are email apps that are in there using the same t- sort of thing, and a couple. There of them, are, yeah. al- although although I've heard from people because there have been a number of apps that have gone through this, and I've I've heard from some very very large app developers that this has been like a over the last few months yeah. an issue of negotiation. And that it's been one of those things where even some of their updates have been delayed until yeah. they can kind of work out yeah. how I, I, they remove fast mail or, or adjust went, their subscription. Fastmail went on a record because fast a great great email provider Fastmail. Yeah, uh, I think they own the PO Box now, like PO Box dot com, which has been a long standing independent email provider. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I might be confusing it, but I know Fastmail does. Fastmail has a great service. It's pure IMAP, so you can use it with uh, Apple Mail or Microsoft yeah, Outlook or Gmail or whatever. Anything that speaks IMAP, which is the lingua franca of email. And one of the problems with IMAP is that there are all sorts of different IMAP implementations. Trust me, I know this. It's a long story, but IMAP <laughs> is not just IMAP. They're all over the map in terms of how it's standards compliant. But Fastmails is actually very great. They even have great push email service. Um, so like, you don't have to do anything. You just put in your credentials, and Apple Mail will give you push email so you don't have to check frequently. It's great for your phone. Uh, but they also have a Fastmail app. That I don't know what else it does and why you might use it, but because I don't use Fastmail personally, but they do, and people pointed to it because you download the Fastmail app and it just says what's your email and password, and mm-hmm. there's no way to sign up. And Fastmail publicly said on Twitter because people, it, you know, were saying, "Hey, Fastmail, you know, did you see this thing with Hey?" And they're like, "Yes, Apple," and very politely, you know, delicately in the way that companies talk to each other, especially when there's a power imbalance. Yes. Uh, we're like, yes, Apple has been in contact with us and it's actually on our list for a future update to adopt in-app purchasing going forward. Yeah. So, okay, but I would just say, just just do it. Just give everybody the Netflix option. Agreed. And, and make a very clear distinction that if you do commerce for digital content. Again, something like the way that you can buy real world stuff like you can go you can open the Amazon app and buy a, a six pack of soda and have it delivered to your house and it's not an in-app purchase that Apple gets. They they draw the distinction for digital content. If it's an in-app purchase for digital content, it and you do it in the app, you have to use Apple's in-app purchasing yes. things and pay Apple their cut, whatever their cut is and that changing that cut is a separate discussion. And if you don't want to use it, you have to do it outside the app. And so no web view in the app. You have to go to a website and do it there. And if you want to do it that way, you do it that way. And then say we think in-app purchasing is so much more convenient, so much more secure – and and not secure in the spooky sense that like 20 years ago people are like, no way am I putting my credit card on the internet. Right. It's more like, and and it's sort of coincidence that I mention it, but like the way that if you sign up for a New York Times subscription, I was just thinking this, right? yes, exactly. So I, you sign up for a New York Times subscription at NewYorkTimes.com, and you want to unsubscribe, and you have to call them on the telephone and spend forty five uh-huh. minutes with them talking you out of it before they let you do it. It's like canceling AOL. It's yeah. If you sign up for the New York Times in their app through an in-app purchase, and you would like to unsubscribe, you go to settings, iCloud subscriptions, and then just cancel your subscription. And at the end of the month, you're unsubscribed, and they'll never get your dollar again. You know, so like it is a tremendous advantage to users that you can feel, you can know if you bought it through the app, you know it went through your i 
iTunes account and you know mm -hmm. that you are not going to get billed more than you agreed to and you know that if you would like to cancel a subscription, it is easy and obvious how to do it. And you do it. The, it's easy, obvious, and it's exactly like canceling any other subscription. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in full agreement. I would make I would probably make the same plea because to me that is more important than I mean I think that look, cut it to fifteen. Uh, I think that that is is they could do one, do they could do the other, they could do both. But to me, if they only do one, I would just say extend that Netflix rule to everybody. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that there are, and I, I the reason I like that is that part of the thing that concerns me with this move to services that I think has been kind of lost in some of the discussion around these broader things has been that what's happened is that the system has become gamified around, frankly, really shady and really gross practices by like really scummy app developers who yeah. do really gross things to push people into paying several several hundred dollars a year for a basic utility app yeah. because of the way that they show, you know, the the, the subscriptions like, oh, it's going to be, you know, $9.99 a week, not realizing, okay, I'm now paying $520 right. for this calculator. And um, those are the things that I are, are becoming incentivized right now right. as a way for people to make money. And those apps, the more people point them out, aren't being taken down. Like I can buy the argument about why you need to have these rules to keep up the quality of the app store if the quality of the app store is actually in a good place. I would argue that it's not. And so to me, it's it's a it's a bad faith argument to say, oh, well, we have to have the reason we can't allow customers to sign up for a service outside the app like they can with Netflix is because it's a bad user experience. That's really disingenuous because there are so many applications that have really terrible experiences that are much, much worse than having to maybe go to a website or be confused and decide to delete the app. Like to me, that is, is the, the wrong argument. And so I'm with you. If, if you could only pick one, I think extend the, the Netflix rule to everyone. And honestly, I think that the vast majority of services and developers who don't have, you know, a massive built-in user base or have a massive ability to bring people in and, and pay for on their own platforms would still find it, very reasonable to at least have the option to have people sign up, right. you know, maybe not be the only way people can sign up, but, but at least have the option. Like, I, I do think that you would see the drop off on some of your biggest services, but they already have different rules anyway. Right. Like, but even if you could put a dollar amount on it and you, and you know, I'm sure internally somebody, you know, Tim Cook would commission somebody inside the company to put a dollar sure. amount on it. You can't put a dollar amount on the, regulatory weight that would be lifted off Apple's exactly. shoulders if they did that and just said, hey, you know, I keep saying, hey, and I think I say, hey, all the time. Like, and a whole bunch of people told me that like, when I did my live episode from WWDC that I should start the show by telling people, you know, <laughs> say the word, hey. And it's like, uh, I would probably do that anyway. I think every time I start talking, I say, hey, uh, it's, it's just it's, sort it's of good word. not really a joke. It's actually just how I start talking. But, um, <laughs> it's just so it, it confounds me though because I keep talking about hey.com the, the email, the email um, yeah. but they've even said that that's, that's their big thing they don't really you know it'd be nice if their 70-30 was split but they just want to be able to sign people up and they trust themselves to do it and even, exactly. even with the it, Apple has never said this 
out loud, but it is obvious and you see what they promote in the app store that they don't promote apps that don't like you to my knowledge they've never had an app store story profiling Netflix you know like no if, but they do have things about what you can watch on Netflix right. and shows you can stream and and that's because you talked about power dynamic earlier and right. the power imbalance rather earlier this is what's so interesting to me about this is that at a certain point you know Netflix and and Spotify and some of the other places you know Amazon video whatnot Apple clearly was in the power position. At a certain point, and I think this is why Netflix gets special rules and can get special rules, is that that power imbalance has shifted. I, I think it's slight. I think that they're probably near equal. But at this point, I posit, and I feel pretty strongly about this. I've said this on Twitter, and I feel very strongly about this, that Netflix now has more power than Apple does in that relationship. Mm. Because you, Apple needs Netflix on their devices. You can't, and you can't sell iPhones and iPads and say there is, there is, not. A, well, there and, is and, no Netflix. And even more to the Right. Exactly. Even more to the point, you know, like Apple TV, like right. it's famously not part of the, the TV's, right. you know, uh, app right. and and it won't be. And yet they still have to show these are things you can watch and, right. and integrate with it. And they it has serious support like they. Yeah. At this point, Netflix has the dominant position there. And so they can do that. Most companies aren't going to have that. And but for those that do or those that want to take the base camp route and say, we can do this ourselves, I don't see the harm. Because, again, I mean, my my thought is that I, I other than maybe some of the, the biggest players who already have special agreements, like the bizarre Amazon agreement, um, where you can actually yeah. do in-app purchase through your Amazon account for Amazon right. Video, which is – that's, you know, completely bizarre. Uh, at this point, it's one of those things where – I don't think that you would see developers just fleeing the app store entirely. Some right. of them might, but I don't. I, but I, what it would do, to your point, would be really reduce the the tra, uh, you know the, kind of the the uh, trade winds coming from from regulation. Right. And to me, like you want to be real careful with the regulatory climate because what the regulators could introduce would be things that I think would be both bad for Apple and frankly bad for users like yeah. alternative app stores. Yeah. I think alternative app stores is bad for users. I think that alternative payment platforms is actually bad for users. Yeah. And if you don't ultimately, want that, sort right. Of and that's the thing yes. is you have to, you, and, and I know that there are, I'm interrupting you only because I know that there are people listening who have the good, the, the points of alternative payment that would be good. And they want to raise their hand. But I, I think a full listing of all the things that could happen that are bad and the reduction in exactly. trust of knowing that if you're in the app, you can, you're doing it the Apple way through your iTunes account is an overall negative. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I agree. No, 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 no. You're, you're, I, I, I agree. And I'm, right? it, it is trade-offs. And look, I, I do understand why people would make those arguments. I don't disagree, I guess, like top level but i think when you when it comes down to it the bottom line is is that when people use we've been trained for 13 years 12 years i guess since there've been apps that if you buy something it's going through apple yep. and if you switch that so you feel secure if you switch that so it could be going someplace else and you don't have that trusted relationship that's really negative and that could be really yep. devastating if the payment provider isn't scrupulous or if something happens and someone's hacked, you know, and, and, or, or, you know, that whoever the, the app service was using, you know, if, right. the, if the, the payment processor was hacked or if there was credentials leaked or whatever. Well, like, or or just, 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 uh, how about just making a subscription hard to cancel? Right? Yes. Agreed. Right? It, 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 
Totally. Even if it just makes it more difficult to cancel your New York Times subscription, that is a negative. And so, you know, to me, it would be, it'd be obviously be very bad for Apple, but it would be bad for users. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you because I feel like if you don't get ahead of this and make some concessions, you risk having concessions forced on you that could be so much worse for and they're everyone. unpredictable. Right. Regulators exactly. don't really get it. They don't. I mean, no, we've seen it over the it. years and they don't get it and they have bad idea. I mean, honestly, look at and add to me, what makes it all the more confounding that Apple doesn't seem more concerned about this is how badly the iBooks, eBooks mm-hmm. uh, thing turned out, which I guess is eight, seven, eight years ago. Uh, Apple got robbed on that, in my opinion. They did. I really I think I, I, it's it's insane because the regulators only looked at it in terms of does it make prices to consumers go up? Yes, therefore you're in the wrong, and you've abused a, a you know anti-competitive antitrust. Uh, meanwhile, Amazon's the one with the literal monopoly on ebook sales. Like yes, everybody and, knows, and, and, like whatever your ballpark back of your whatever your guess is on how Kindle sales compared to iBook sales seven or eight years ago, you're probably underestimating how much stronger Kindle was. And there were competitors exactly. like Barnes & Noble with the Nook, who yep. for Apple, iBooks was like a lark. Like, yeah, that's another totally. thing we can get into. Barnes & Noble, it's an existential threat. And especially even then, like I kind of feel like, I don't know how well Barnes & Noble is doing, and I know that the coronavirus thing is probably terrible, but I kind of feel like... It, not to go on too much of an aside, I kind of feel like paper books are holding their own in a lot of they ways. Are. But seven or eight years ago, that was very unclear. No, it was it was very yeah. yeah. There was I used to write a ton about this, and I used to talk with publishers and with device makers about this. And there was this massive, massive fear in publishing that it was going to go that, the way of the music industry. Yeah, right? or, or or that it, or that it was going to. What did happen? It's interesting. Books have persisted and actually if anything they've started to outsell in some categories and it, it's very interesting that you see a lot of physical books sold it's it's kind of like vinyl but at much bigger volumes whereas magazines were completely decimated yeah. right like yeah. like like print magazines print newspapers have been completely decimated right. but print books have not been right. but that wasn't the thought mm-hmm. the thought was and that was why Barnes and Noble and and Borders before they went bankrupt they had to deal with 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 Kobo right. who now Rakuten owns uh. um you know like they were having to kind of get into this space they were fighting like, for right. their life literally yes. thought that we need to do this or we might just go out of business yeah exactly it was like and we they, have to disrupt ourselves they gained yeah. nothing on Kindle and yet Kindle was the not the one Kindle and Amazon wasn't the one right. the regulators well, that, well, looked well, at that, not only that but when the settlement came out you got Kindle credit. Do you remember right. this? Yes. <laughs> like I ended up getting because I buy a ton of ebooks. I ended up getting a ton of money back from Amazon. I got like forty seven dollars or something, right. and um, I was like, is, which that to me was the was the insane thing. I was like, you know, if if you were somebody who didn't know anything about it and hadn't read any of the briefs, and you just heard, you know, ebook price fixing scandal, right. your first thought, it, I think, would be, oh, Amazon was involved in something, and they were, you know, right. like um, slapped down. No, it was it was Apple, and ironically, the deal that Apple was trying to make then was to be more fair to the publishers, which right. is the complete opposite of the the, the right. you know the seventy thirty split now with developers. They were actually trying to make things more fair and more even for publishers and say you can't undercut things right. and take a different margin you have to set the same price everywhere 
that was actually, you know, a, a very pro-publisher, pro-book business move. And the, you know, um, what was it, the FTC or whoever, um, or FCC, I'm not sure which, which who, DOJ, whatever, whatever, you DOJ, know, group of government, the DOJ. Okay, so the DOJ read that and said, no, you are price fixing and are right. artificially pushing prices up. And what's happened, ironically, is that now... Amazon is in this place where, you know, because they used to undercut the ebooks all the time. Like that was a very common tactic and that was yeah. how they sold They a lot sold of them at a loss where the publisher would say, totally. here's, here's a new Stephen King novel, right? Or, you yep. know, here's, here's the new book from insert big, big name author who's going to sell a ton of books. It's brand new, you know. It's, it's $9.99. Or, no, but the publisher would say it's seventeen ninety nine. Oh, exactly. That's what I mean. But, but, but Amazon would sell it for nine ninety nine and, and just eat and the what, price. It, right. And, and what's happened, though, is that now you do still have some of that, but most of the big houses and also publishing has, even though they've, made, like, print books have, have survived, publishing itself is, like, most forms of written media is, is a shit show. Um, they've all consolidated even more. And most of those publishers have arrangements like Hatchin and Simon & Schuster and others where they set the price and Amazon can't undercut them. So ironically, the whole thing right. of the, the, the DOJ's like, you know, like rule has come to pass anyway. Amazon and, uh, you know, um, uh, Rakuten and uh, who owns, Bi- uh, uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, Kobo and, and, and iBooks, don't have the ability to adjust prices right. for a lot of the bestsellers. Right, but I, uh, Kindle's Apple, Amazon strategy with Kindle was uh, I'm loss not, leader. I'm not going to say nefarious, but it was it was a loss leader. And their idea was we'll sell them all for nine ninety nine because that's a great price. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a loss, we'll eat it. We'll dominate yep. the market, and then when you know, then we'll be the only one selling. You know, we we would like to build a monopoly on ebooks, yes. and then we could change prices later. And then we can change prices, and not right. only that, they then started to become publishers. And they uh, even that, admit that, it; they, they don't even hide yep. that fact. But the whole no. problem is that the and again, I don't want to get too sidelined on this, but the whole problem is that all of these antitrust laws in the U.S. and in Europe and around the world were all based on the idea that the abuse of a monopoly would be to artificially increase prices. Right, which makes mm-hmm. intuitive sense, and also sure. makes historical sense. Right, that once, uh, like Rockefeller or whoever it was who owned the, the whole railroad from coast to coast, and could control yep. all of the steel going from steel foundries in Pittsburgh to the West Coast, where they were building San Francisco and you know the you know the modern West Coast world. Uh, that the person selling the steel also owned the railroad and it was yep. the only way to get it there and could set the price for his competitors to whatever he wanted to while his own steel wasn't being charged at all, etc. is all about raising prices artificially. And yeah, we need government regulation to keep it down. None of the laws anticipated, well, what if there's a publicly held company that the shareholders buy into the argument that all we're looking for is ever increasing revenue and no profits at all, just break right, even. We don't need that and exactly. Just build market share and dominate, and then you know, good things will happen in the future. Yeah. It, what What if you could be right, Walmart, right. but you didn't have to turn a profit? Right. And you know, it, none none of the regular none of the laws were built with that in mind. And then the thing with the eBooks case with Apple was that the regulators themselves don't have it in mind. It was all. Uh, no, it never went further than well. Wait, uh, Amazon wants to sell these books for nine ninety nine. If w- you know Apple's deal with the publishers meant that the books would cost whatever the publishers say, which was often more than nine ninety nine. Therefore, that's price fixing and higher prices to consumers. You lose, and that was it. And you're out. And it was like that that uh, 
casino hearing in the movie Casino, <laughs> where they never even gave Robert De Niro's character a chance. And they're like, nope, your license is out. And that's it. Case closed. It's over. So why in the world would Apple trust the regulatory process on this to come to a sensible conclusion? Like, if you're thinking, well... I don't blame Apple for taking their chances on this because if the worst case, if they lose, the regulators will just impose very fair rules on Apple and Apple can certainly live with those. You don't know that that's what they're going to impose at all. It is an incredible gamble, right? So in addition to not being able to put a price on it, there's also the idea of like, how do you know, how do you value risk avoidance? You know, it, it's the risk avoidance of this is like what happens if there's a major earthquake? What happens? If, let's just say, theoretically, Christina, what if there's a pandemic? <sighs> Who knows, right? You, 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 you can't value that, right? You don't know how. Nobody knew or knows going forward what the cost of a this pandemic is going to cost. You have no idea what regulatory. Uh, rules imposed upon the app store could do so why not do what you can to sidestep it now and just tell the shareholders look this is you know i don't know services are still growing they will grow we have great faith in it but we we're more proud of selling our own services we are so sure about apple arcade and apple tv plus and apple news and the, the longest standing of our sur- ongoing subscription service is iCloud, which we still think, you know, we have you know, 98% of or whatever they want to say the number is of people who are into it and just say, we want to sell our own services. And we're so confident that our app store is such a great deal for third-party developers that we'll let you sidestep it if you want, because we think you'll make more by being in the store and doing it in app. There you go. I, that's what I would, I would sell Tim Cook on. The other thing yeah, I would I'm, like I'm, to see them do you. is, in addition to that, at least let develop, let everybody do the Netflix thing and expand the Netflix rule to at least let apps tell you what to do. Yeah. Let, when you download Netflix and you say, I've, I've, you know, I've heard about this Netflix thing. I can't believe it's 2020. I don't have it yet, but I want to get it. <laughs> Right, I don't know who you are if, if, that you don't have Netflix yet, but if they must be out there. But but, but you have an iPhone, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and maybe it is an older audience. You know, uh, you know, maybe my mom. I don't think my mom has Netflix. She does have an iPhone, so maybe she decides she's going to sign up for Netflix. Um, at least tell her what to do. I mean, it should just say call John. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Con- but con- contact contact your son. But he'll, he'll walk you through it. It's part of the Netflix rule as it stands, even with all the problems with the weird exceptions and who counts as a reader app, even though some of them clearly aren't readers at all. Part of it is that they they keep talking like and and again, it's very strange for Apple. It would be very strange for Apple not to 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 acknowledge that yes, this part of our business is not friendly to our customers at all. It is counter counter you know it is what's the opposite of friendly it is in it's a bad experience for customers it would yeah it's hard to imagine Apple saying that, but yet the idea that you're allowed to you know download netflix you Netflix is allowed not to have in app purchases, but Netflix can't tell you that what to do is go to netflix dot com and sign up there that they're not allowed to say that, let alone making it a link that you can tap. 
I'm not even right. saying that, right? Because I kind of get, here's the thing with the tap. I kind of understand the, the lack of the click. I'm right. with you on that. Because but at least tell people something. And, Sorry, go and, on. Well, it's for people listening to this show, I'm sure that a majority of them are going to think I've lo- I'm off my rocker here and disagree. But I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the type of user who is confused about what's a browser and what's an app, right? And if you just tap it, and it jumps you over to Safari, but starting in the fall could be a different browser because iOS 14 is going to support third-party browsers. But it'll go to your default browser. Let's assume that it's Safari because anybody who will know starting in the fall how to change their default browser or what a default browser is isn't as confused about what's in a browser and what's in an app. So you jump over to Safari, but... You know, how do you know? I mean, do, do, do does everybody know that you've left the app and now you're in Safari? Whereas if the instructions don't even let you tap it, although I wouldn't be opposed if they said you can even make it a link. I wouldn't be opposed. No, I wouldn't be opposed either. But I can a, from your see pers- why they don't. But just let them yeah, say, I- go to Netflix, hit the big sign up button in the top right corner and sign exactly. up there. Then come back and sign into this app using the email and password you created at our at our website. One, two, three, four. See you when you sign back, come back to the app. Let them do that. Let them say, go to hey.com and sign up there, then come back and sign into this app. Just say, just let them say it. Because the way it is now where you can't even say that is insane in terms of how confusing it is, right? And it's, you know, it, it, it's, how can you possibly argue that that benefits anyone other than Apple? It, exactly, exactly. And I think, I mean, like, Right, and it doesn't. I think when you put those like such strict rules, like I'm actually more open to the idea of not having a link, not just for the reasons you mentioned, but I'll be honest, I think that that is maybe Apple giving up too much of its business to someone else. I don't think they necessarily need to have a link there. I don't think that that right. is necessarily something a company needs to do to basically say we are going to give a direct like vector for someone to like purposefully avoid our our payment system. Right. Um like I don't think they need to do that. Like from a business perspective, I, I don't think that that needs to happen. But you make a good point too. It's also just a bad user experience when the user is in a situation where the re- it because it's not as if the developers don't want to tell them how to sign up. It's right. that they can't. Right. And and therefore, anybody who is vaguely confused about what happens when you tap a, it says Netflix.com slash sign up and you tap it and then you lift your finger and next thing you know you're at a sign up form. Right? Are you still in the app? Have you jumped to your right. web browser? I'm not going to be confused by that. You're not going to be confused by that. I would venture to say just about every single one of the thousands of people listening to me and you talk about this are not going to be confused by that. But out but of our parents might be. Our parents might be. There's all sorts of people who might be. Just make it instructions, make it clear. I think, you know, if you're getting to the point where if you're just following the instructions and have to go to the website to sign up and you still aren't sure if you're in the app, well, then you're a lost cause. That's a, yeah. Exactly. That's a bigger problem. No, I think, I think exactly. And I think also, like, it would be good for Apple in some ways, again, not to have the link because that could cause confusion, but to have the instructions because Apple doesn't want people to think that they have a one-to-one relationship with these right. services if they don't. Right. You know, so to your point... If you need to unsubscribe, like make it very clear, I didn't sign up in the app, you know, like because 
otherwise, even for people who might think that they're savvy, I could see that the confusion. Well, I remember signing up on my phone. Like I remember opening the app and signing up. So of course it's in my subscriptions because that's how it's worked. If that's going to change, yeah, you don't necessarily need to have the link, but have the instructions. It could be very simple. This is what you do and 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 go from there. Um, and and I, I genuinely think that the number of people who would completely askew using the app store at all is relatively small. So when they, whereas having that option would buy both goodwill with developers, which I think is an important thing, but also the the incalculable thing to your point is, okay, this could help get the, get the feds off, off our back. And Apple does this all the time. And, and, and this argument that, well, I see it come up all the time. And, and again, I, I, I'm not going to say that we've been collectively brainwashed. That's a strong word. And there are people who are apparently brainwashed at the moment on other issues. But there is this widespread belief that publicly held corporations are beholden to shareholders to quote unquote maximize profits at all costs. And I see people who are even amenable to this and, and who are like, yeah, I wish Apple could do this, but you know, they have to do what's best for shareholders. And so. They, you know, they've, they've got to do this. You know, they've got to squeeze every penny they can out of the app store. That's not true at all. It is absolutely not true. I mean, there's the, the responsibility that the board has to shareholders and that the CEO has to the board is to do right by the shareholders and to run the company in a legal way and a responsible way. And, you know, um, but you don't, you're not, there's no legal obligation. It doesn't even make any sense if you really no, think no, about it. It makes no, no sense. No, no, the fiduciary responsibility is about making sure that you're not hiding money or doing things unethically with the with your profits or right. with your salaries, that you're reporting things the right way, and that shareholders are aware of how money is being spent and how it comes in. It has nothing to do with, oh, because we're public, the shareholders are beholden to us squeezing every cent we can out of everything right. because companies make decisions all the time. If that were the case, then you could say, well, why does Apple spend so much on its components and on its machining and on you know the things that make their products higher quality? Right. Because obviously that reduces margins. They could be making so much more money if they used these cheaper components. Exactly. That would that would that would benefit the shareholders. No one makes that argument. Right. It's understood that <laughs> you know you can make the choice to to invest in what you want to invest in. And you could that that I think goes into your business models. You can choose to say, this is the right thing for our business. Right. Which ultimately is being responsible for the shareholders. Uh, if you know it's this is the right thing for our business, not this is how we can squeeze every penny and, and be Scrooge McDuck. Right. It's exa- you know, and it's it just is not. There it's you know, and, and Tim Cook has even said this at some point, you know, where I he it was like a shareholders meeting years ago and the closest I've ever heard him to swear in in, uh, in public, it was like somebody was talking about like accessibility as a cost or something, and Tim Cook got angry and was like, "I don't care about the bloody ROI," you know. And and you know, Tim Cook, I'm pretty sure is not British. Uh, let me look. <laughs> no, that I don't think up. so. He's he's from he's from Alabama. Yeah, but is Alabama in Great Britain? No, it turns out Alabama is in the U.S. South. So no, he's not British. So bloody, it was not <laughs> part of his natural uh vocabulary but i you know you can imagine what other words he might have wanted to substitute there <laughs> yeah it's not always about the roi it's about the whole thing and apple is apple a well-run company that is making profits you know and even if they 
do make a strategic change that significantly decreases the profits they draw from the app store in and of itself from third-party developers, that is totally in line with Apple's strategic value. And they can totally make a very strong case that it's actually in shareholders' interest in the long run, that this is a better idea. It's it's better to be competitive. We believe in competition. Uh, we think it's better for our developer partners. We want them to be happy. It's better for the ecosystem. It's better for us in a regulatory landscape. It's all good for us, even if it means less money in the short run from what we draw from third-party applications. That's it. Same way that I think that Apple could and probably should, and again, it's a side thing, but I think that they could and probably should get out of the casino business of participating and allowing the sort of pay-to-win games like Candy Crush yeah. uh, that that are built around the concept of whales who get hooked on the game and spend exorbitant amounts of money, in my opinion, hundreds of dollars perhaps a month, and have Apple taking 30% of that money. You know, it's like my, I always say like, you know, there's a reason why the Disney cruise ships don't have casinos, you know, and it's not, you know, the reason all the other casino or cruises have casinos is because it's, there's no laws regulating having a casino and casinos are profitable and people like to gamble. I like to gamble. Um, if I were on a Disney cruise and they had a casino, I would love it. I think Disney could make an amazing casino. I would like to see yeah. a Disney casino. I would, I would actually, I was going to say, I don't usually like cruise ship casinos. Yeah, um, you'd go to the but, Disney one. But I would one. love a Disney one. Yeah. It, the, the Disney one would be great. People would be uh, paying money just to have the decks of cards. Oh, my God. I mean, right. people would, would – or to keep the chips, right? right. Like, oh, my God. Right, right. Let me keep They these. can make the chips collectible yes. the same way that they do like the little, you know, Mickey Mouses. Right. Like, yeah. But uh, Disney doesn't do it because they don't want to be involved with gambling. And again, I say this as someone who loves to gamble, you know. But I, I also totally see why Disney doesn't want their brand associated with it. Uh, I don't see how Apple's dalliance with the candy crushes of the world isn't effectively having an Apple casino in in Las Vegas, which I don't think they would do. Again. That would it, they make a lot of money? I think from the Candy Crush type games by drawing thirty percent of that money. A lot of it is coming from people who are, for lack of a better word, addicted in an mm-hmm. unhealthy way um, to these games. And for Apple to be taking thirty percent of that is, in my opinion, uh, morally wrong. And I think it's actually in Apple's not to, I'm not preaching to them that they should walk away from this money for no reason other than the ethics. I actually think though that there's brand value in not being associated with that and that that brand value outweighs whatever the dollar value is of the money that they're getting from it. Yeah, it, it's interesting that the, there's not a moral, you know, I guess, aversion to that model, whereas there is if you want to have adult content or, if, mm. you know, other types of content, which there are rules about and that Apple has made a very clear stance. You know, Steve Jobs was very clear at the beginning, like he didn't want Playboy in the App Store. Right. He didn't want that stuff in the App Store. And that is a decision. There was nothing legally that would mandate that from not being allowed. Like that would maybe complicate some things, like depending on what content they sold on on their payment processor, but also Apple's big enough that I think that'd be fine. Uh, that was that was a judgment case. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, just where you draw the line. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, again, I'm very cynical in the sense that I think that the amount of money they get from those types of games has to be so massive that 
that would be a very difficult thing. Yeah, but why to, not though? But isn't isn't that the Steve Jobs thing that maybe it's difficult? You're right. Isn't it difficult to just say, okay, yeah, there's an you're antenna problem. Correct. Here it is. You, no, no, you're you're completely correct. Right? Let's rip the, the band aid off. Let's. The one thing that's harder, I think, is that in this case, you have a history of how much money you know that you're losing. So it's a much bigger risk. What a tremendous benefit it is to be a part of a lucrative business like this and have it be a fraction of your income and without question will always be a fraction of their income. The services is never going to outweigh this device sales. It's, it, it shouldn't and never will. It's, it, it, they don't need it. So why not have the liberty of doing it? And why take the I don't risk? Disagree. Here's, here's the risk. What if, what, you know, it, this is, would be my message to Tim Cook, the, you know, in advance of this, of this, uh, testimony. Why not be the one to do it and say, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to open this up and let it, let you use the Netflix rule and we're going to go 8515. We're going to do it and let other people follow. Um, because what if Sundar Pichai gets up there and says, Hey, we're, we're just going to go 8515 or we're going to go, uh, 9010. And then all of a sudden you look like the jerk who's coming in after Sundar Pichai and you're there, right. you've got all this, and, and you're there, like everything you've prepared, you're, you're there for, defending it. Everything um, you've prepared is, Hey, we're 70, 30, but so is everybody else. And you're coming in after somebody who just, uh, you know, took the carpet out from under your feet. Why, why not be the one to do it? Act first and look like the leader. So an interesting model is one that uh, exists in the Microsoft store, which I was not aware about until recently when a developer told me. And apparently there is still, I guess, like whatever the standard split is, if you discover and buy the app directly like on your own in the store. But if you get to the store from a link that the developer has put on their own website or their own advertisements or whatever, then there's no commission. There's no cut. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good rule. I, I like that too. Yeah, and then it, it and, and I think that that's an interesting like kind of way around some of that, right? It's like yeah. okay, if you can bring the audience, then you get all the money. Yeah. the the payment and everything is still going to be handled by us, um, and we're still going to be you know making the rules over other stuff. But if the audience comes to this through us, then then we get the commission. Yeah, and you know, like it, it, yeah, that's a, a not a bad idea. Uh, certainly seems fair. And again, I know that the people who defend Apple and the App Store's current policy exactly as is the most are almost to a T. I mean, there's always an exception, but they're not developers. They are users. And there's an intuitive sense that they're, you know, it's not like Apple's basic argument is outlandish. It, you know, there's an intuitive sense to it and they buy it, which is that, hey, Apple's doing all this great work to make the App Store and new versions of the OS, new APIs every year, and they promote apps within the app store and it's a great distribution channel. So they, you know, deserve some amount of money. And if you want to argue about whether it should be 70, 30 or something else, sure, but they certainly deserve it. And anybody who's trying to cut around it is looking for a free ride, right? And Apple said this, and there's a lot of people who buy into it. And in some sense, it is true that they are looking not to pay anything like with the Netflix rule, but to call it a free Absolutely. ride is something else. And the promotional aspect, sure. Okay. Like, and, and, uh, Jason Fried and 
David Hennemeyer Heinsohn have said it with, hey, like, okay, fine. If you guys don't want to promote us in the App Store ever, fine. We're, we're, we're very confident in our abilities to promote the app. We know how many people are signing up for it, and we're on our wait list. We're fine with our own ability. Just let us have the app in the store so if somebody goes in and searches for, hey, email, there it is. They can download it, and there it is. You don't have to promote us at all. Just let us be in the store. We'll handle everything else and handle all of our own promotion. That's fine. Uh, did you see this thing before we move on? Um, Apple had a, a commission to study this week from yes. a group called the An- Analysis Group, which again, uh. <laughs> I made this joke on Dithering, but I have to make it again. It sounds to me like Analysis Group as the name of your company is reminds me so much of the company James Bond works for, <gasps> which is un- Universal Exports. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, totally. Well, it was it's interesting because, like, and then reading through this report, like, with this whole thing, is like, this looks just like any McKinsey report oh, ever. It, and it's you know? so hard to imagine Steve Jobs sitting through this report. It's not, oh, yeah. It's not uh, poorly written, but yeah, no. it just seems like, oh my God, this is like generic corporate I mean, Fortune I mean, 500 is, America. Yeah, like, yeah. no, this is like straight out of like, you know, M- McKinsey yeah. and, and some of the other big, like, uh, you know, um, uh, consulting firm playbook. Like, it's, it's, it's well formatted, it's well written, but it's, it's totally that. Yeah. I love what you said on, on, um, during Fireball about how, like, if you have to compare yourself to Ticketmaster, like, we're not as bad as <laughs> Ticketmaster, then You're it's a losing argument. <laughs> oh, right. And, and I agree. I'm like, okay, are, in, in, but, and, and if you look at the their table four uh, in, in their the thing is like on page nine if, if anybody wants to look at this report where they're showing the different percentage of these things the only the only services that have more than what <laughs> Apple's commission is are ticket resale and potentially food delivery um, and even even then like it's it's close so it's right. like okay we all know how lecherous and there's been so much discussion right now about like the very, very um, a predatory nature of these food delivery services and how they're effectively helping put restaurants right. out of business. Right. Uh, so, so it's like, okay, you're going to compare yourself to Uber Eats or Ticketmaster. Right. Who've been in the news for like scamming restaurants and being so foolish and fueled right. by VC money that they will let themselves get into an arbitrage situation where they misscraped the company's menu and right. are willing and, and then forward to a different phone number that they control. Right. And, and are willing yeah. to pay twenty dollars for a nine dollar pizza and stuff like that. Anyway, here let me read CNBC's CNBC's summary of the report, in my opinion, is outstanding, cannot be beaten, and therefore you tell me if you agree that this is an apt and complete summary of the entire report. The Apple back study has four major findings. Most app stores charge the same thirty percent and digital goods. Point two, retailers, travel booking services, and other marketplaces can charge more than 30 for their services. Three, distributing software through an app store is less expensive than distributing through brick-and-mortar retailers. And then point four, other app stores and digital marketplaces often require users to use their in-app purchase mechanism and forbid sellers from redirecting buyers to finish the transaction in another venue. So 30% Everybody does it. Uh, two, some companies outside of app stores charge even more than 30. Three, brick and mortar was worse. Four, yeah. uh, the other app stores make you use the app store too. That's one, two, three, yeah. four. That's the whole report. 
And so, yeah, and that's it. Saved, saved you 50 pages. Apple's participation and commission of this report and their help promoting it into the news media suggests very strongly to me that this is a preview of Tim Cook's defense and testimony at before the regulatory people next week. We don't know, but it certainly would seem so because if Apple didn't wasn't thinking of this as a blueprint for their defense, why would they release it, right? They commissioned it, but then if they didn't like it, they could just say, ah, we don't like this. Here's your money. We're going to bury the report. Um, Point three, everybody is pointing out. Nobody, even people who are generally like, yeah, I'm with Apple on this. I think Apple's in the right. Even those people are like brick and mortar. What? What the right. hell are you talking about? It's like all of a sudden, like if, if, if car, if, if Apple was a car maker and they're going before Congress to testify about the move, the, 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 the industry moving to electric vehicles and they issue a report talking about what a pain in the ass it was back in the day when you had to use a crank to start your car. Right. Like, right. And, and, and what it's, the it's hell are you talking about? No, exactly. I mean, it, to me, it, it also kind of ignores a bunch of other things. Like there was an argument that some people were making during the hay fiasco last month um, about how, okay, well, you know, back in the day when you had to sell box software in stores, it was, a much worse experience. And and I don't doubt that. And I'm I'm not in any way trying to claim that the, the <laughs> margins there were different and that was bad. But okay, I can't remember the last I think the last time I bought a box piece of software was probably like I don't know, like nineteen ninety six. How would you how would you explain to somebody the idea? I mean, how would you even get box software onto a phone? I mean, you'd... no, you exactly, exactly. Uh, that, well, that was that's the thing too. I'm like, okay, I've been downloading and paying for mobile software. Okay, I do remember in the in the Palm days that you could buy yeah. like, box software and you would install it on your computer and then you'd have to transfer it to your Palm. So I do remember that, but that was a very brief window. That's I mean, it. I think that. I, from like basically 2005 ish, there it's it's been digital distribution on mobile. Tech as an industry, and I'm generally loath to just group all tech companies together. But tech, you know, if anything, my whole career is about parsing out the differences between tech companies, and there's a lot of nuance. But whatever. But tech as a whole, and those of us who are enthusiasts as a whole. We, we take it as a – my entire career is based on the idea that tech moves fast. It is right. fast and it's exciting. And so it's fun and exciting to follow and it's changing our lives not between generations but within our own life, right? I mean just in the course of this show, we've talked about how different the world is from 20 years ago or 30 no, totally. years ago. totally. I mean well, exactly. And yeah, it moves fast. I mean, okay. And, and actually, I will make a correction. I bought, I bought like games. That's probably yeah. the one thing that, that I've continued to buy physical copies of, not anymore, but probably right. well into the 2000s. Right. And, you know, but anything else, I mean, even at this point, like, okay, computers don't have CDs on them. Like it, this, this era is over. It is all digital distribution right. um, it, to, to the point that the places that, you know, sell video games, like physical video games are like right. at the risk of going out of business. So making the retail comparison, especially in a medium that has never existed, like the iPod was always digital only. You know, there was never a way where you were, you know, buying a physical MP3. Like that would be a stupid idea, right? right? But you like, could buy a CD, put it in your computer and have iTunes sure, zap it absolutely. over to your phone. And it was a fantastic but experience. It, it was a great experience. But if you wanted to actually buy from the, the but it was a great experience. But the big appeal and the big breakthrough of the iTunes right. store in 2003 was that I didn't have to do that. Right. And that you could, could just, just buy a single. 
right? Which I could was, just buy a single, I could just buy one track. Right. That was massive, right? right? Like that was like bringing what everybody had always right. kind of went to Napster for, right. right? Like was I can just do that and I can I can do it digitally. I don't have to have the physical right. um, copy. So yeah, I think that making that comparison, it's like, well, yes, retail has much different margins and it's a completely different thing. Like it's, it, to me, it also seems disingenuous when the issues at play are not about how Apple collects a commission on physical goods from retailers because they don't. It's all about digital distribution. So why are you bringing retail into this? Right, and it completely skips over. And if there's one regret I have from my live talk show with Federighi and Jaws, it's that I didn't push back on Jaws on this point. It just didn't pop into my head, unfortunately, because I'm a very slow thinker. Um, but my one regret is not pushing back on his response on this, which is along the same lines, which is that it, it presupposes that the transition from software being sold in boxes and other physical disks to the App Store doesn't have an intermediary step, which is that software could just be distributed digitally over yep. the web without the app stores, which Apple thrived. The entire early era of Mac OS X was entirely yes. predicated on that. And that their entire... The, the entire in, the indie Mac movement. Right. Like, I think the reason that people like like me like became right. massive Mac fans was based on that. I wasn't going to the few retail stores that existed, like Apple retail stores, and buying box and software. It, I was finding apps online and downloading them and then paying for them. And it still is true today. It's not even like that was, you know, like retail software, a bygone era. The Mac right. App Store famously is nowhere near as successful as the iOS App Store. And it's you know, an awful lot of great Mac software still is sold outside the yep. App Store, and those companies are, you know, making money, and there is it's a feasible business. Uh, I mean, I can't just sit here and even list the amount of software in my dock right now <laughs> that I bought that way. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think that there is like a knowledge, because at least for those of us who are plugged in, we know what the cut can do. So at least for me, I go out of my way to buy the non-app store version because A, I usually don't want some of the sandbox restrictions if those exist. And B, I want to like directly support the developer. Right. You know? Yeah. Like which which I realize, you know, um that it's different on mobile. And and I'm not even I'm not even necessarily like a proponent of of having um a sideloading ability. I think that that's interesting, but I, I'm not even necessarily a proponent. I'm of not that, either. But I think I, I, but, I, I I'm but very I think on much, desktop. Right. I mean, on desktop, I am for sure. Right. That's, but, that's uh, my my basic my stance is that the Mac is the Mac, and therefore is the yep. Mac, and and you know other PC platforms like Windows should be like that too, and that phones are phones, and that it's okay for the phone to be effectively a computer console, and it's just in the same way that I think it's fine that the consoles are all like that. That you you know there's no there's no way to put homebrew sideloaded apps on a PlayStation without, you know, cracking it, like jailbreaking exactly. it. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you, the, you have to wait for those things to happen. Right. And then those communities, you know, crop up and that's great, right. but that's but separate, But a gaming right? it, PC it, it, is a gaming exactly. PC and you could just, Precisely. you know, make your own game. And you game. can do mods, right. right? And you can do mods, which are very popular, right. and, and that's the distinction. And and that's right. that's fine. I think that they it's okay to be separate. So, yeah, I think that, you know... Uh, you're exactly right. It's not as if that middle area of being able to go and and buy directly right. hasn't existed. And it's also, frankly, it's not as if I mean there were mobile app stores beforehand. And yeah, you know the the carrier based ones were really egregious. But I mean 
none of them ever took off uh, the way, but there were still usually ways you could get applications. Otherwise, like I used to sideload things onto like my, my Sony Ericsson phones and on my Razor, you know, like you could find like jar files and stuff. And, you know, it was ridiculous things you would do. Um, so, yeah, I just, I feel like that's, that's the one argument where I'm like, okay, retail's different and that's a straw man. Yeah. If you have... If there are better arguments to make, I, I would hope that they would make them. But if, if all you're saying is Ticketmaster does it too. And everybody and, else charges 30% and everybody else right. makes you go through the app. Like since when has been the argument for Apple anything been everybody else Everyone does, else does, it, does it, right? It. It's, right? We're just like everybody else. That's, you know, that's Apple. Just like everybody else. That's that's the opposite of Apple, right? Like why not do it the other way? And, and why not? You know, and isn't there, you know, whatever happened to bragging about the app store being the first app store? And, you know, again, you know, it's typical Apple, Steve Jobsy, and we did, when we did it, it's the first one that counts. Like ignoring the fact that there were things for the Palm Pilot and whatever going back further that were maybe app store like and predecessors and arguably isn't first. But Apple's stance is that the app store revolutionized everything for mobile phones. And in yes. large part, mostly true. So I, th- I think that's completely true. So why not take but, but responsibility also- for the fact that the 70-30 split that everybody follows is quite probably mostly because that's what you do. You know, it's well, not right. like, oh, well, we're just one of these 70-30 people. We don't know how it happened. We're, we're, you know, everybody's in the same bus. Well, the bus has a big Apple logo on it called the App <laughs> exactly. Store. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like the bus started literally with, with you, you, you built the bus. Right. You created it. Yeah. Uh, no, it, 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 I, I totally agree. I was thinking that too when I was reading this. I was like, yes, everyone does this because they've all followed your lead. Yeah. <laughs> and and what's, what's interesting is that if they made this, this very, I think, would be a good decision – that would also force everyone else to follow their lead, which, okay, I just had this thought. This is sort of interesting. So if Apple were to cut their commission rate and presumably then lose whatever their potential revenue could be, if Google has to do that too, and Microsoft has to do that, and any other kind of stores have to do that, that also cuts their effective um, uh, you know, service revenue right. rate, meaning that when we're talking about like our share price and, and right. things like that, like all things being relative – Guess what? Like Apple still has the advantages that Apple has. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I just see it as something that they could do and get buy-in from shareholders. All they have to do is spin the right story, and and spin has a bad connotation as a verb, but you know, just just put it in, you know, be honest about it. I, I think I there's think an honest about explanation think, about it that shareholders would buy into. In this, no, I mean, I think if, they, if I think they were as simple as saying this is the right thing to do, yep. and this is the right thing for the future of our business. Yep. Shareholders are going to be fine, yeah. and and unless you could show a demonstrable, you know, say like this change has negatively impacted revenue, like where we're losing money and we're yeah. losing things, then then I I don't think anybody would 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 go crazy. And and honestly, if it were if that were to happen, and and they needed to recalibrate, do do the G four thing, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to be agile when you're as big of a company as Apple, and I can't even imagine trying to make those decisions when you know you have that many employees and that much revenue you're responsible that, for. That to me is that's what make would make Tim Cook a great CEO. And again, I'm not saying he's not. That that makes it sound like I'm saying he's not. But the bigger the ship, the faster you can turn it is proof that you're you're really you know you can turn on a dime, right? That's yeah. that's the thing. Um, all right, let me take a break and thank our third and final sponsor. New sponsor, Raycon. 
Raycon makes earbuds, and they start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth Bluetooth pairing, more bass, a more compact design that gives you nice noise fit, isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts or listening to music, watching movies, entertainment, podcasts, calls, what you name it, they're good for it. Unlike other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. Very discreet appearance. Here's what you do to find out more. Get the latest and greatest from Raycon and 15% off your order off their already low prices by going to buyraycon.com slash talk show. That's B-U-Y by Raycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash talk show. And just by going to that URL, you will save 15% off their wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash talk show. My thanks to them. New sponsor. Very exciting. Um, anything else on this before we move on? I, I have two other topics. I know we've gone long. I appreciate your we've time. We've gone super long, but no, 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 no problem. Uh, All right. Let me toss this out. Aaron Sepinwall sure. uh, wrote a story. Uh, and I, I don't know. Alan Sepinwall. Sepinwall I'm sorry. At, at Rolling Stone TV. Rolling Stone TV critic. Calling out the terrible user interfaces of most streaming services. Yeah. And I did, oh, this sounds dangerous. This sounds like we could do a whole show on it, but we could. We'll, we'll be brief. Here's here's my thought. What's what is a good streaming interface? My favorite. I have I have one answer that I can think of that I could think. You know what? I don't even know how. Uh, I would say you're good, and, but I don't want to say what it is yet. I'll ask you. Who do you think is doing a good job? Okay, I actually do think that Netflix is doing a relatively good job. Um, relatively, I, my problem yeah. with Netflix is so uh, it just I know it's the top of my mind. Uh, Amy and I are watching. We're like one episode to go of the Innocence Files, which is fantastic. Yeah. If I were going to do a segment of the show where I recommend something to watch, I'd say, "Oh my God, watch the Innocence Files." It's like a nine episode miniseries on the Innocence Project, and uh, you know, obviously years in the works, but to come out now at this moment in our political climate about, you know, the, the, uh, the police, you know, in America and prosecution and the criminal justice reform that's necessary. My God, this is it, it, you cannot, the, the luck they have that this show came out when it did is just unbelievable. Uh, great show. Nine episodes. Every single time we go to watch it, uh, what's at the top of our Netflix? Not the next episode of The Innocence Files. It's something else that Netflix has new that to wants promote. Us to promote. And I got to, yeah. and, and it's not hard. So the, hey, Netflix is pretty good is that I can go like down twice and it's like continue and there it is at the top of my continue list, the next episode. But why it, 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 it should be at the top? No, I agree with that. Okay, so I'm trying to think because most of them are terrible. And so I'm trying to think what is the least worst. I mean, the app, the Apple TV Plus interface isn't bad. My mm-hmm. only issue with that is that it's mingled in with all the other things. Yeah. So I don't have access to just the, uh, the Apple TV the, Plus content, yeah, which and, I would like. Yeah, right. There's like a little bit. It's like it, I think given what they're trying to do, the TV Plus interface is actually pretty good. But there's too many – that what they're trying to do is 
is include content from other sources that they don't have exactly. complete control over, right? Right. And 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 I and I love that idea. I like having that centralized kind of organic watch list. My only issue is is that if I want to watch the morning show or if I want to watch like another like Apple TV Plus content, I would like to see all of their yeah, originals. Yeah, they're, they're they're too humble about the TV Plus content. I would like to see them have just a TV Plus app where it's just the Apple Absolutely. content. It's I, I would love that, yeah. and I think that would be good. To that point, this is okay. This is what I'll, I'll say, and it's funny because it's going away um, in in a couple of days. Um, I actually think that the pre HBO Max, HBO Go slash HBO Now interface mm. was really good. Huh? I'm an HBO Go user. I am already. I think I've successfully deleted it in anticipation of it being uh, put to bed at the end of the month for HBO Max. I haven't used the HBO Max one as much. Uh, I, I find it hard sometimes though, like to, in HBO go to find my favorite shows, like, cause I only watch, you know, I don't watch all of it, you know, but it's like, Hey, every Sunday night I watch the John Oliver show. So yeah. why isn't that, why, why is it isn't so it hard to find? Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing I like about it is that of all the services, it's the one that does the least amount of like yeah. algorithmic yeah, yeah. stuff. So it's basically, you have a search, yeah. it puts things in collections and categories. There is hand curation, which is really good. I can see like, you know, documentaries and, or sports things or other stuff I might like. So that I guess is, would be my pick. But again, I mean, this is damning with faint, with, with faint praise. I, I really, and I subscribe to and in, I mean, like a truly disgusting number of streaming services. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like I, I started. Like it, it's I, it's I disgusting. Actually, I started recently. I've started a spreadsheet where I've I'm I'm tracking everything I'm subscribed to, and it is uh-huh. it is it's ridiculous. Like every newsletter, yeah, no, I, whether I pay yep. for it or not, but most of them I pay for it. it is, no, same for, for for me when it comes right. to immediate. Like me and 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 Nilay uh, Patel of The Verge often joke with one another that we're like the only two remaining like cable subscribers. Oh, I am who too. Also, okay, so there's three of us. We we have we have a we should have like a a, a therapy group because we're the only three left because. We're, and we're we're the biggest source of idiots because we not only subscribe to the cable stuff, but we also subscribe to the other services. Like that's all it, right. Let me just, just, let me just tell you this. This is, this what, is why I'm one? still subscribed to cable, and I still have. We have a like it's now old. I forget what but the model name of our TiVo is, but our TiVo has yep. effectively infinite storage, and it has a remote that always works. Pause and fast forward are always. It's the best. It's still. I still don't understand why nobody else has fast forward and rewind at work as well as TiVo. Where- uh, I agree. TiVo was was the best. It, okay, this is funny because now we, you, me, and Eli are also the only three people who have a TiVo. I I'm let yesterday. I'm not going to talk sports, but I did yesterday. The the baseball season started, and the Yankees were on against the Washington Nationals. It was a national game, nationally televised game on ESPN. So I could watch it. I had two choices. I could watch on my TiVo through the ESPN channel I get, or I could watch on the ESPN app on Apple TV. And I, you know, nerd that I am between innings, like the second and third inning, I switched from the TiVo to the ESPN app. Now, no surprise, I haven't used the ESPN app. Oh, I guess I did. I watched the the Michael Jordan. uh, Yeah, I was going to say, I watched 30 for 30 on it. That's all I do. I watched the Michael Jordan show, uh, the, the, the last dance, the last dance, um, but I haven't watched Incredible. sports. I haven't watched sports on the ESPN app in many months because there haven't been any sports. Anyway, guess what? You can't do in the ESPN app. You can't pause. <laughs> you cannot pause. You cannot fast forward. You can't go back. So if you like miss something in the baseball game, 
I went to like go back a pitch, you know, let me go back. Let me see that again. There's no, there, it's, it's like watching old fashioned TV. There is no, there's no DVR right, aspect at all. It's not just a we, bad fast forward. You, you, right. It's, there's none. There's no pause. Which means that we, which means that we've effectively like regressed right. 20 years. Now they do have all, all of the features as far as I could tell. This is on Apple TV and the ESPN app. All of the features they have about like when I click the trackpad on the TV remote were about adding a second thing. So I can like do like three up or four up, right. you know, and I could put four games on at once. Well, guess what? There weren't four games on at once. There's one game, one game in the whole world is being played. It was the Yankees and nationals. There wasn't anything to put up. That is interesting. You can't do that on TiVo. I can't watch four games sure. at once. I don't want to watch four games at once. I want to watch one game. You can't pause. What? What the hell? I got out of that so fast, went back to TiVo, and I thought this is why I still pay for cable, you know, like $300 a month. Yeah. No, I'm in a similar situation. Like Comcast, well, I don't get their internet, although I'm about to. Oh, God help you. Well, no, 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 no. Here, here's why I'm doing it. Uh, I'll go on a brief tangent on this. I pay for fiber uh, through Wave G. They're fantastic. Not getting rid of them. But my bill will actually be cheaper if I add a cable service, a cable internet service I don't use onto it. Ah, uh, that's, yeah. Where are the regulators? Isn't that Where are the regulators? Anyway. Uh, exactly. Anyway, okay, so what's, what's the one good interface? Is it TiVo? Is that no, it? No, because I wouldn't count that. Um, and, and actually, TiVo's interface is terrible. It's, once you're yeah. watching a show in TiVo, it's, it's the best ever. The, the- totally. But the other, the rest of it used to be so good. Right. That they've they've really but like managing yeah. everything else is horrible. No, it's the T, it's Apple's Movies app, and I guess yeah. that doesn't count as streaming. I think technically streaming is you pay a subscription and you watch all you want for free, and the Movies app is you pay for movies as you rent and buy them. But to right. me, what the hell are you talking about? It's the same fucking thing. No, I would agree with that. I think the Apple's Movies app because I am um, I love um, Here, it, here's, it's fantastic. Here's what's popular. Here's what's new, and if you paused a movie last night, here it is. Pick it up. It, it, yep. it is the interface that is like everybody forgets it, and I don't know if it's because everybody has effectively decided I'm Stop spending. Buying. I'm spending so much on subscriptions every month. There's no way I'm paying a rental fee for something else. You know, whatever they don't look at it, but the that movies app is so good in my opinion. I, I would be very hard pressed to all of these other apps. I would love to spend an afternoon with their team and tell them what annoys me about oh, their same, apps. Oh, same Peacock. Uh, I like did a mini Twitter thread and I had to give up because oh, man. It, it's, it, it, it's so bad. And what's actually terrible about that is that the base NBC app, pretty good. Yeah, because um, I've used that. I've good. used that to watch, like, I've used the NBC app to watch, like, uh, oh, somebody was somebody good was on The Tonight Show last night. Oh, I, right. I want to go back and watch that. I've used the NBC app. Um, yeah, the Peacock, Peacock app is bad. The Quibi app is oh actually God. kind of good on the phone, right? It actually is yeah. a good app. It's just that everything else is so Fakakta. It's like, what the hell are you thinking about? Like, no, it, it is. I mean, they did finally introduce the ability to do screenshots um, after everyone's canceled their subscriptions. Right. Uh, at least I, I definitely did. Like, I had the free trial, and then I was like, am I gonna? I'm gonna pay five dollars a month for this? Yeah, right. no, they, 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 you know, that, refuse to let people that, do screenshots. That tells you everything you need to know about the Jeffrey Katzenberg mindset. Um, I know, and and, that, and it's insane to me because he gets content, right? Because there is, but some, he didn't get the tech stuff. There is some, the there is some line that you want to draw between making 
piracy through your content difficult, so difficult as to not be worth it, but yet right. not, not interfering with the experience of your users and the benefits you can get from your users being able to take screenshots and tweet and promote it, right? There's a huge right. benefit of that. And the idea that you would take advantage of technical features in the operating system to make screenshots technically impossible is the maximalist perspective. You know, you, you couldn't Completely. possibly take. And what is the idea that you're, you've, all right, so you've paid all this money to put a Kevin Hart movie on Quibi, and you think somebody is going to take a screenshot of what? Every frame of the exactly. movie? Exactly. It's, it's like, it's like, what are you doing? You're, you're ruining the ability to promote. It's also like, look, the piracy is going to happen. Right. Like that, that's, that's a given. What? What you should do, I mean, the way that iTunes won, the way that, you know, Netflix and those things ultimately won is if you make it more convenient to pay than to pirate, most people will pay. Like, I, there is always a subset of people who won't. Right. But I'm a strong believer, and I say this as someone who has been a, a, a hardcore pirate, but also someone who has been a hardcore buyer of media, like, my whole life. It's been one of those things. And the reason I used to download torrents all the time wasn't because I was cheap. It was because I couldn't get the movie or the TV show any other way. Right. Or they would put draconian restrictions on where I could watch them and what I could do. And I would get, like, just mad on principle. Right. So... At this point, you know, there I, it's easier for me to use a Usenet group than it is to rip my like thousands of Blu-rays. So, okay, you, you, like, you what do if you faster. like in the old days? What if you pay for HBO, but you really want to watch The Sopranos, but it, you've got to watch on your laptop because you're not at home? So, what do you exactly. do? Exactly, you exactly. do pay. It, you pay for HBO. You already pay for right. it, but you can't get access. So, yeah, yeah. you. Go, so the the thing to me is like the best way to combat that is to make it more accessible. Right. Um, uh, in in for something like Quibi where it's short, it's like that would give that would open it up. Like if you let people do gifs and and let people you know tweet screenshots and do other stuff, like it could go viral. Right. But when you don't do that, now you can like you lose out on that whole thing. So yeah, I, I'm you're not wrong. Like the, not, whole, the rest of the app is is bad, but the interface is. If you really want, if you want to get into the idea that you're going to police the copyright of people posting clips of Quibi shows, you know, by by taking a phone to video another phone yeah. or taking a video, you know. Because you yeah. know the the phones don't let you. Oh, I guess you can record video now that I think about it. But but well, you can do screen recording. But yeah. the thing is, they, they 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 but the but they will actually block that. Like, yeah, but you why? Can't but do what do you recording. think somebody's going to do with the screen recording of the show? Exactly. Do you really think that they're going to pirate no. the whole thing? I mean, and it's like I would just love, but I can almost see it. I can almost see the the argument against not allowing screen recording of video clips of the thing because oh, you know, oh what if they spoil look, the best joke or yeah, whatever? Look, look, it's look, like, but that, I would that I'm not. Oh my god, I'm I, not against that. But but a screenshot or at least create like a, an animated image. You know I, what I mean? I would like, love to sit in a meeting and listen to Jeffrey Katzenberg explain why they don't even let you take a goddamn screenshot. I would just love to hear the explanation, the justification yeah. for they're ripping us off. They're ripping right, off. exactly. You're, you're ripping us off. The, the, this free promotion right. is is bad. Um, it's like you want it to go viral, but you yeah. ruin every aspect. Apparently, that's been changed. But yeah. I canceled my, oh, my peak, Quibi the, subscription. I forgot to cancel my goddamn Quibi subscription. So they got they they got seven dollars for me or something. I got to yeah. cancel now. And again, yeah, what you know what I do? I set um, reminders when I sign up for those things. I like say like this is one of the only times I use Siri. <laughs> I like yeah. basically tell Siri to remind me on a certain day, you know, to cancel. 
It's a good app, though. That's the weird thing. The phone version is good. Why in the world they don't support iPad is crazy. Uh, I, I actually Massively. did not get it out in time before we record, but perhaps before the show airs, it'll be out, as I want to rant about the fact that the iPad... It's always been weird launching uh, iPhone-only apps on iPad because they don't rotate, and right. you have a choice between a 1X size with enormous letterboxing around the side, which looks ridiculous on iPad, or 2X, which does take up most of the screen, but not all, but scales mm-hmm. in an ungainly in way. In a bad way, yeah. And But it it's always been awkward, always been weird. It's still with us. But now you can dock your iPad in a magic keyboard that Apple sells for $300 and puts it in a laptop configuration. It's obviously officially sanctioned because the trackpad support is in the OS and Apple's the mm-hmm. one selling you the $300 docking keyboard laptop thing. And now when you launch, say, Quibi, which is still iPhone only on your iPad, it launches sideways. <laughs> And the entire user interface goes sideways. Like, so if you command tab out of Quibi, it's up and down. And if you drag the dock out, it's on the side and everything is sideways. Like, how is that not a bug? If you're using a real laptop and everything goes sideways, you'd say, oh, I've got a weird video bug. Let me quick get a camera of this. Ha ha, my video card thinks the screen sideways. That's actually by design. I know, and, and what's what's even worse about this is if you think about slide over, and if you think about the fact that like that's how they're doing, you know, multi window stuff. Like, okay, why can't you have a slide over thing that is on screen, right. like a, like a picture in picture menu, or like a slide over that is just like the, the the phone, you know, either whatever orientation you're in, either you know one way or the other, so it's, it's showing up correctly. Um, it's showing you know uh, maybe uh, vertically when your iPad is is uh, horizontal and it's just kind of docked you know at some place on your screen because I assume that's what they're going to have to do when they bring the apps to the Mac is that it's going to have to be because you can't turn your Mac so yeah. it's going to have to be some sort of window that you're seeing. It's not going to be uh, you know some of them might be converted but most of them there are going to be plenty of apps that won't be um, developers won't go through the process of you know trying to make them work in in a, a four by three uh, or, or you know uh, whatever the yeah the, what um, if what if Netflix I don't think they're going to but what if Netflix says okay fine we're not going to do a native Mac app but we will let our iOS app run on the Mac in this new world well obviously you want to watch that sideways right you want to watch it landscape right. so I how do you do that on a device that doesn't tilt my guess I don't know I don't even think has Apple I don't think the dev kits support that yet um, no they don't right. well what I imagine they'll do is that it'll that they would bring over the iPad app and that it would just come over uh, when it's when it's in, in landscape mode you know that would be how the Netflix well, app would work and then you could make it full screen my guess or what if they what if those I mean they obviously know that okay this is an iOS app running what if those apps have a window control that includes a rotation button you know like the red yellow green yeah. buttons what if there's a purple one that you know, which has gone unused since 2000. And Steve Jobs' goofy idea that a purple button would put your Mac into single app, single window mode. Put a purple button up there, uh, you know, that rotates the screen. And then it would even work well with Quibi, right? Because it would yeah. be purple. There you go. It would be purple. A Quibi be- button. 
<laughs> yeah, that's not that's not a bad idea. But no, that's going to be interesting how they'll handle the rotation stuff. My my thought right. is that phones it will default almost exclusively to vertical as long as that's a, 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 pro, a supported yeah, but, orientation. But, but it, and, and it'll be docked. It's it's like, appropriate for most, and except for the ones where it's not, and the ones Agreed. where it's not, it's a hundred percent inappropriate, right? Games and video, you know, there's uh, also no. I agree. It, well, but again, this is my point. I think that for the phones, that's what they'll do, and for the iPad versions, right. they will actually do the opposite, where it'll be defaulting to right. horizontal this, or not horizontal. Yeah, yeah, to horizontal. The state we're in right now, ten years into the iPad era of iPhone apps on iPad, it which is just as terrible as it ever was, but yet mm-hmm. more incongruous than it was when it was introduced. Because at least when it was introduced ten years ago. Every iPad app was a full screen app and right. some of them didn't rotate and you always were I you know even though Well you remember the original iPad keyboard, right? right? Like you had to dock it vertically. Right. People forget that. Right. Um I still have one of those. Uh, anyway. All right. So my idea is that uh, uh, movies uh, iTunes movies is the only app that's actually good. Netflix is probably a second up. I think TV, Apple TV gets credit for trying to put a cohesive interface on incohesive rules yes. around where the content can come from, where sometimes it'll just play the video and sometimes we'll launch the CBS All Access app and jump you to the app. And then you go back and then instead of going back in the CBS app, which is where you were, you're back in the TV app and when, what, what happened? I don't know. Trying to make sense of incoherent rules with a coherent interface, they get extra credit, but it is a bad interface overall. Yeah, uh, Hulu is probably the worst, oh. which is a shame because it's the best service, in my opinion, and it's the, the interface is just a disaster. Overlines. They invented something called an overline to show you what's selected. <laughs> Well, so it's they, funny because what? yeah, right. Well, what's what's funny is that when the first in the launch, it's better than it was three years ago. But when they showed me a preview of the UI at CES 2017, they were really proud, and it looked really good on like a TV, and like it looked like it could be well controlled from like a game controller. And the screenshots, you know, were all good. And then they were kind of going through it, and I was like. Okay, but this seems a little bit confusing, and this is going to add a lot of stuff, especially for anyone who's using like a, a, a TV remote and not a game controller. Like, how how are you going to do this? And they just assured me it's fine, it's fine. And I was like, I pushed back a little bit. I was like, all right, whatever. And it launched, and you know, the immediate like feedback was just like the user the revolt was almost like unlike anything I can remember the the comments we got at Gizmodo on like how much people hated that interface and I know from talking to people at TiVo like they felt it too that they started trying to or not TiVo Hulu they started trying to make adjustments and changes but it's you know it's three years later and it's all the only thing I can say is that it's better but the old interface wasn't bad you know like they they just yeah it's uh it's it's a mess um disney plus isn't bad actually no that's i I would say that's pretty good too i think that the hey they all stink argument is overstated uh and i don't want to say that alan sepawal's article is off base uh it's but it's not as bad as the hot take might have you think and i agree agree. disney plus is pretty good and and, and I think they get extra credit for launching with a very good 1.0. Yeah, 
A very good one point. The one thing I really love about Disney Plus was, and a couple other apps do this too, but they have a thing where if you do it on certain TV devices, including the Apple TV, but also some Samsungs and some other devices, rather than having to go through the terrible rigmarole of having to enter in your, you know, complicated password and email with, you know, like a, a, a TV remote, um, they don't even have the thing where you would have, like you, I guess, have the option of doing the thing where you go to the website URL and, and log in. But instead, they have a thing where they say, okay, do you have a phone near you that's logged in or that you have access to? If you do, open the app on your phone. Mm-hmm. And then it will use you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or whatever to pair the two together and send in your credentials. Yeah. And that was such a seamless experience. Like I remember I actually like... Like tw- I tweeted it. Like I, I, I went through the process. Like I, I saw it, it was cool, and then I like went through it again so I could document it because I was like, okay, this is actually a really slick way to get around that. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at the app now, even on my phone. Like I, they have like kind of the, the, the pillar, you know, categories. They have the recommendations for you. They have the continued watching area. They have the trending, you know, sections. Yeah, yeah. I think I think actually that the Disney app is 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 quite good. Yeah, and the other thing too is that they're not trying to sell you anything else. It's like no. you're already in, you're already paid. They're not. They're, there's no, you know. And again, I get it. I do get it. And I see the Peacock ads where Peacock's ads are all about like, hey, it is free. It's free. You can just here's finally here's a new streaming service for it's free. Of course, it's because they got these unskippable commercials. Um, right. Which it it took me all of. There, I was trying to watch a movie just to test it out. It took me all of like because the first ad for the movies, it's good, right? It's it's only you know it's like three minutes or whatever that you have to watch at the beginning, and then you watch the whole movie unprompt, like without any ads. I actually applaud that. I think that's fantastic. Right. I've been so re- I've been so conditioned of, of twenty years of, of TiVo and DVRs and on demand and and streaming and 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 downloading content and whatnot that I was like. I was I was like a little over a minute into my three minute wait period, and I exited out of the app, which doesn't play in the background and doesn't have picture in picture, which is annoying. And I like went to the website and I upgraded my like the the plus version or the premium version I get via Comcast, and I was like, "Yep, paying five dollars a month for this, I cannot deal with the ads." Yeah, that was my story with the Last Dance, where I forgot to TiVo it. Uh, Went to waited too long to get it like on replay on ESPN. So I watched in the app, and they had they weren't quite unskippable, but you still it's like this this process right. of skipping was such a pain in the ass. But I also didn't have the patience to wait for it to come out on Netflix, where it is. It actually just came Wait, out. It, it just launched this right. week. I was going to say, right. and that's yeah. actually what they were trying to promote to me instead of the next episode of The Innocence Files. I was like, dude, I watched like- that. You're like, I already watched this. Don't you know? Like, show me the thing I've actually been watching. You're like, it's not a bad recommendation. Yeah. Like, good recommendation, but not, not – I've been watching The Innocent yeah. Files. Yeah. It does remind me a little bit of the way cell phones were pre-iPhone, where it was sort of like everybody had their own way of doing everything. You know, like even like texting. And it was like – Totally. You kind of had to learn. It's like every time you get one of these new things like Peacock and you're like, where, where, what? 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 Which is so weird because right. there have been okay, like okay, I actually think that the, on the whole, I think Roku. I'm not a big fan. I don't like the interface. Here's the one where area where I will kind of defend them, and and they're kind of subpar interfaces because you know their hardware, the apps for the most part have to still work on like really really old stuff, and so some of the mm. apps like Amazon and and um, you know uh, Netflix and and Hulu have customized to a certain point, but the rest of them follow a very common template. 
And it's not the best looking thing, but it works and you can navigate around it and it's a good 10-foot experience. And I have to say, like, I think that my Fire TV stick was a much better value. And when I used to be able to travel, I would take my 4K Fire TV stick with me everywhere because unlike an Apple TV, it would work with hotel Wi-Fi. And now that there's the Apple TV app available on the um, the Amazon devices, I could watch all of the, my purchased TV shows as well as their content. Um, so, you know, that's a better value. But the interface on the Roku is like bare bones as it is. Every- I got to give them credit, at least for for the 10-foot experience. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what, what their mobile situation is like. I know they have their own channels now. I, I don't mess with that. But the 10-foot experience on the TV itself, I have to kind of give them credit. It's It's bare bones, but it does its job. I had that you saying that made me think of the old Apple TV, the original Apple TV yeah. before TVOS and the way yeah. that even the Netflix app every there weren't really apps, they were like just things that look like apps and they were yep. all they all Apple made them all and so like yep. the the way that you watch Netflix on Apple TV wasn't with a Netflix made app, it was through an app Apple made in their template that they did with the participation of Netflix to get the APIs for Netflix sign-in and content and everything had the same interface and the interface was actually pretty good and yeah yeah uh, and all of a sudden I have this sense of loss I have this sense no no massively and and what happened there and I know this for a fact because I actually talked to Netflix about it at the time was that Netflix wanted to own their user interface and they wanted it to be consistent across all platforms and look you know what from their perspective I understand like they have their own brand and they develop their own like you know identity you want that everywhere so they you know when they could they started to update and and apple like even had to give them leeway and, and do certain things you know even within tvos that you might not otherwise be able to do and, and amazon's followed suit and it's a shame because i do think that having those constraints even if it made the apps like less flashy for screenshots and like look right. less good in sales presentations from a user experience point of view, so much better. You just didn't have to think about it. No. All right. Well, good place to end. Thank you, Christina Warren, for your time. This was, you know, the fact that we went so long is proof that I should have had you on the show sooner. Um, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having so me. So you, you're on a regular podcast, Rocket, with uh, your yes. co-host, Brianna Wu and Simone. I, I'm going to, you say her last name. De Rochefort. De Rochefort. <laughs> uh, at uh, Relayed. Relay, would you, you could just, yeah, just search yeah, for yeah, Rocket yeah, Podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relay.fm slash Rocket. Uh, and bizarre coincidence, your next episode of Rocket will be episode 290 of Rocket. This episode that you're listening to of the talk show is episode 290 of the talk show. Very strange. I love it. it it's, it's completely strange, but I, I love it. If I, I were into it, so conspiracy yeah. theories, I could spin some kind of whole story <laughs> that this was the cause of uh, – 5G towers leading to coronavirus, <laughs> you know, because it all comes back to 290. Oh. But mm. hmm, but I'm not. Anyway, and also on Twitter, of course, you're an excellent, prolific Twitterer. Um, but yet somehow, I don't think I've, I've been following you. You know, I knew you were going to be on the show today. You haven't tweeted about the new um, Taylor Swift album yet, have you? Or have you? tweeted about it oh that's been all i've been tweeting about for the last like, 12 <laughs> hours oh i know he, i know you're joking but just for the audience i haven't said anything about it it's weird i haven't i haven't said anything uh, about it yeah no i tried to warn people i was like if you follow me for other stuff like <laughs> I, I usually try to use hashtags when when we have like tv i i'm a i'm a fan of the trash that is known as the bachelor and the bachelorette 
And I always use the hashtags specifically so people, people can, can mute me right. because otherwise, like, I, I know that I drive people up the wall. So uh, <laughs> you, usually, usually it's A fast thinker techie. and a fast typist is uh, often a, either a very entertaining or, you know, time to get out right. the, the mute filters on Twitter. But I don't mind. I, I'm glad. I feel like you're keeping me up to date. Now I know it's thanks to you. I know there's a new Taylor Swift album. Uh, anyway, on Twitter at film girl with an underscore between the film and the girl. Yes. And we didn't even yes. get into talking about how shitty the Lord of the Rings movies are, but we'll have to save that for the next time you're on because yes. that, if anything, is evergreen content. That 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 is evergreen, and and uh, yes, that we will save that for for, for the next time if if, uh, if if you'd like to have me on again because I would love to talk to another fellow Lord of the Rings hater. And my thanks, There's so few of us. My thanks to our sponsors uh, who may or may not hate. The uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Don't blame the sponsors. Uh, Raycon. Don't blame them. Who makes uh, great wireless earbuds and Squarespace and Mac Weldon. My God, how could I forget? Mac Weldon. Go there and get the slippers. Buy all the other stuff too, but get the slippers before they sell out. 